Blog Talk Radio. Ladies and gentlemen, boys and ghouls, step right up. Behind this curtain lies a ghastly concoction of delight, horror, fantasy, and terror. Your every wish is our command. Your every whimsical desire brought to life. But I'm warning you, there's always a price. Welcome to the greatest of And welcome back to the greatest show on earth that is Talking Terror. As always, I'm your old pal, the King of Horror, Andy G, welcoming you to this old school style episode where we're going to be talking about the Ghoul Geek Keith film pick of the week from 2018, Suspiria, directed by Luca Guadagnino. Uh, so that's later on, but uh, since the Dean and also the Monkey are not here, it's just the Ghoul and I as the overlords of hell intended. And without further ado, it's the bold and the beautiful, the Ghoul Geek Keith. Oh, Vida Shine. Danke, danke. What is. I don't even know if I said anything right there. I don't know what the hell I even said. But, hello, everybody, and welcome to an OG style you know, episode of Talking Terror. Can't wait to talk about the spirit later on in the show and all the German. Whole, whole lot of German that goes on in that movie. But, as always, oh, like baby, the Gulag said, this is an old school episode. Dude, <laughs> it's just him and I, we don't know what directions we're going to take. So for tonight's episode, we're going to go a little different. You know, we Dean always has the horror news and lets us know what's going on in the community. But I think for this episode, for just me and the ghoul to kind of just have opinions about things, of stuff that we actually watched, that's what we want to do. And we also might hit up the trailer park later for some trailers uh, that I know everybody's clamoring about. But first and foremost, the big chat on the table is, of course, Masters of the Universe Revelation. Dropped last Friday, the Kevin Smith helmed the Key Man show for Netflix. The first episode, uh, five episodes, I should say, dropped this Friday. The next uh, five are coming soon. Wow. Uh, I did not expect uh, the, the total outrage, I should say, that occurred from it. But we're going to talk about it in our own ways. So, Ghoul, I'm going to let you have the floor first because I want to hear what your thoughts were on those first five. Uh, <laughs> okay. So... You know, this is one of those things that I've kept my, my ear to the ground on. You know, I, I, mm-hmm. I love Kevin Smith. Now, I am not one of those devotees where everything that Kevin does is the most amazing thing I've ever seen. No, I think I approach mm-hmm. all of Kevin's work. You know, I might have a little bit of a, a little more forgiveness with him than I might with some other filmmakers and whatnot. But I also don't ever go in with expectations that I believe are too high. Um, so upon hearing that he was going to be tapping into a, you know, a cartoon that was, you know, a pretty big part of my childhood as a a kid born in 77. So I'm one of those eighties kids, you know, so He-Man, Voltron, G.I. Joe, Transformers, like all of that stuff hit at like the perfect age for me as like a boy growing up in the New York area, um, you know, these things were just huge. I personally was not the biggest a fan of the He-Man cartoon. Um, I really loved the toys, though. I loved the toy line. I thought the figures were really cool. Um, I know they didn't have all that much articulation. You know, you had your little rubber band body, and, you know, your, your legs can move <laughs> up and down, but that's about it. 
Um, you know, he didn't have like articulated joints at the elbows and shit like that. You know, but like I loved, I loved all the character designs. Ram Man and fucking, you know, Merman, you know, He Man, and Manny the faces. version of He Man. Many faces. Uh, there was get battle damage version of He Man, where like his chest looked normal, <laughs> yeah. but then like if you hit him in the mm-hmm. chest with something, like it would flip, and you'd have like what looked like a damage you know, part of his like upper body or whatever, uh, like where it was all dented in and shit. Um, Lockjaw, I was a big fan of. There was oh. another guy too. He mm-hmm. had uh, he had two heads. Um, I forget what his name was, but what was cool was like his arms were like both out on the outside, and you pull them and they'd come in to like punch like it actually had like a oh, actual, like flex like rubber band punch with it and i used to use that on every toy you know what i mean shit it can punch anything i'd have that fucking thing punch gi joe he'd punch transformers <laughs> he'd just punch shit uh the toys huge fans gigantic fan the show i found to be a little bit boring um mm-hmm. and very repetitive and when i look back on a lot of cartoons from that time frame, even ones that I did really enjoy, like Transformers and stuff like that, I actually see that as being a major pattern with all of them now, because, you know, to, to be perfectly honest, they were selling toys. You know, that's the reason for the cartoons. It's just like bands used to go on tour to sell their albums. Well, toys used to have cartoons to fucking sell their product. Um you know, the idea was is kids would see that shit on TV, and then they'd be like, Oh, Mom, please, I really need to get the Castle of Grayskull playset and 14 versions of Skeletor, because, well, I need this one for that and this one for that. And believe me, I was that kid. You know, I, I was the kind of kid who went to Toys R Us, and I was like, Oh, my God, I want this one, this one, this one, this one, this one, this one, this one. And I, I got a decent amount of them. Some I ended up having to buy with my own. Yeah, two of my favorites, you know, forever would be... Uh, I think his name was Buzz Off. He was like a bee. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't yep. even remember if he was a good guy or a bad guy. I just remember liking his design. And my absolute favorite was Stinkor. I loved the toy. One, I always had like a, a fondness for skunks, just the look of them in general. You know, right. I'm a Peppy Like Pew fan back in the day. <laughs> uh, I know that's, I no. can't say that these days. You get in trouble. Ooh, no, 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 no. Um, yeah, you know, now, now if I ever go to become an elected official, I might get in trouble. Uh, but the main oh. reason, too, though, was I loved whatever the smell was that they had on Stinkor. And it was like a, uh, I guess they used like a patchouli on him. Mm-hmm. And that's what I, because, again, living in New York, didn't see skunks. Didn't know what skunks actually smelled like. So, you know, I smell this toy, and I'm like, oh, okay, that's what a skunk smells like. Cool. You know, it's like patchouli oil. And I remember getting older, and finally, like, you know, I remember we caught a, a skunk in Robbie Carcasio's, uh, like, garden thing, this dude we knew in New Jersey, and, you know, he had right. it in a trap. And I just remember we all were like, okay, what are we going to do with this damn thing? And Robbie's like, oh, well, I guess, you know, I could shoot it or whatever it is. And he went back into the, the greenhouse to do that, and the thing just turned ass on him and just, boom. Nailed him with it. It's fucking hysterical. Thankfully, we were all out of the building. But yeah, obviously, moving to Jersey, I smelled plenty of plenty of skunks over the course of oh, yeah. uh, my life, and they don't smell like patchouli or stinkor. They kind of, maybe, maybe a little bit, but it's like a light fragrance. Later down the road, 
as you know, I hit my, my, my hippie days and going to the clubs and whatnot, I ended up associating that very same smell with the people that sold me LSD all the time. You know, it just seemed like it, the people that smelled the heaviest, the patchouli oil, were the ones that had the doses that I liked. You know, they just tended to be the people that had them. I'd, it'd be random, too. I'd be like, oh, he smells like patchouli. I'd ask him, I'd be like, oh, you got doses? He'd be like, yeah, man, how the fuck you know? Patchouli, bro. Like some secret society of fucking LSD patchouli rubbers or some shit. So anyway, back to the to the matter at hand. As I'm rambling. Um, See, I told you we would have no problem filling up all this time. No, no, we got. We have all these other voices blabbing in and doing this and saying that. So anyway, with He Man and Kevin Smith's Masters of the Universe, go in with. I wouldn't say elevated expectations, but expectations that Kevin Smith is going to give us a faithful, you know, representation of that cartoon series. Like, I knew he wanted to connect it to the original series. He wanted it to feel like homage to the original 80s cartoon, uh, obviously with updated animation and all of that. Um, Personally, the five episodes that I saw... One, I love the animation. Obviously, they've taken animation oh, yeah. further than they were able to back then. You know, everybody moves. There are things going on on the show, <laughs> things going on in the background. Eternia, as what we saw, was beautiful. Um, Storyline-wise, yeah. I enjoyed the story, but I feel like it was truncated. Um, I feel like it was not enough time given to deliver the story that they gave us in those first five episodes. Like, I really feel like I said originally like a 15 to 20 episode arc. The more I think about it, maybe a 10 to 15 episode arc to really have given mm-hmm. us a story that explores what, again, you know what, people, spoilers. Just we're going to warn you ahead of time. You're going to get spoilers on Max <laughs> yeah. in the Universe. The chances are if you're listening to this show, you couldn't care less anyway, but whatever, you're going to hear about it. So, in the first episode of the show, He-Man basically fucking dies. And Skeletor, the two of them. Yeah. Now, this is what's got everybody in the fucking internet world a buzz. Everybody's all mad about it. Oh, what the fuck, man? You made a Masters of the Universe show. It's woke. Yo, no He-Man. I haven't got no He-Man in it. Well, first and foremost, it's not He-Man in the Masters of the Universe. That was the 1980 <laughs> show. This is just Masters of the Universe right. revelation, people. Um, but, again, I get it. Everybody wanted their favorite muscle-bound blonde to be fucking running around swinging his sword and his big fucking dick and his furry loincloth. Um, that's not what you're getting in these five episodes. What you're getting is, is a show that was exploring what a world without its greatest protector was like. And that's where Ken yeah. failed. That's where he fucked up, because he only gave us a snippet of that, and I want the full-on fucking feature. I want a number of years, you know, to have gone by. I want to see what Eternia has turned into without not only He-Man, but also without Skeletor. You know, we got little teases of that. We got villains running shit and succeeding at what they're doing, and what's their main reason? Well, because they don't have fucking Skeletor holding them back anymore, because he (laughs) fucked everything up every time, because he was the bumbling, stupid villain that was prototypical of everything back then. Megatron, fucking Skeletor, whoever the bad Mm -hmm. guy was in GoBots. I don't even remember that guy. The leader one was the Jet, and I liked him. Uh, The the bad guy was what? He was a motorcycle, wasn't he? I think he was like a Harley-looking thing or some shit. Um, yeah, I don't know the name of his motorcycle, but, yeah. 
but but you know essentially that that's what I wanted to see as I watched those five episodes. And everybody else complained, oh, it's all women's fucking lib shit, badass girls, you know, trying to show ladies this. It wasn't didn't know it was gonna be the Teela show. Okay, listen, Teela's always been a big part of the He-Man series. And again, I think an episode that actually has a character who's going to be on a journey to learn something and overcome obstacles, well, that's good storytelling. But again, in five episodes, that's not the story we get. You know, we get it, but it's truncated. And I don't know if that's Kevin Smith's writing. I don't know if that's Netflix saying, hey, you know what? We kind of want to just get this thing out, test the waters a little bit. Let's see how it goes. Um, I feel like they have been hit or miss with those kinds of series. Like they put out the uh, Thundercats reboot a number of years ago. It might have been a yeah. decade ago now at this point. Um, Easily I remember decade, when it was, yeah. early, it was early in the streaming of Netflix. Like I remember when Netflix first started streaming and they had like the limited catalog and, you know, now it's all about the streaming. Back then you would get the discs and all this shit and, you know, they'd send shit, you'd have to send mm-hmm. it back. And as soon as they knew they were getting it back, they'd fucking send out your next one. I remember the, the, the Thundercat series being really good and being on the streaming. So we ended up watching it real quick and loving it. Um, and that did exactly that. It went into the lore of Third Earth. It built up an entire, like, it gave it a personality and gave it a world, which made you then connect better to the Thundercat characters. Um, but that show, I guess, just didn't do well as far as Netflix was concerned because they canceled it. So I think that may have been what they yeah. were looking at with this as well. Like, there was that other one, too, a couple of years ago, which was really cool, the dra- uh, Dragon something, um, which, you know, I know me and Sammy watched, like, the whole first season or a little more than half of the first season. We were really digging it. It was very much like uh, an Avatar The Last Airbender, which is my, up until this point in my life, still kind of my favorite animated television series just because I love the storyline and the world that they created. Um, right. But, yeah, so I know they had that show, too, and that, I guess, only lasted two seasons, even though it was fairly popular the first season. I'm sorry for all that blabbing, man. What did you think about Masters of the Universe Revelation? <laughs> Well, that's why I wanted to, to get your opinion first, because, I mean, pretty much what you said pretty much uh, kind of resembles what I had to say about it, is that it is ten episodes, but the first five, it felt like they were trying to rush all the story arc within the five episodes. I like the fact that Skeletor got shit done compared to the old 80s filmation cartoon, where he just kind of was like, hey, I got one-liners for you, then he would disappear. Like, this Skeletor was fucking stabbing the shit out of Prince Adam going, ha-ha, I'm the master now. Like, I was like, okay, cool. This guy's actually doing shit and getting shit done. He's not just doing one-liner and then running away and Evil Lynn's like, oh, wow, that was Skeletor. No, it's just the, the hatred that I saw for Kevin Smith, the, the whole thing is that they said he lied, that he, he said that it was going to be He-Man and all the fans of the original are going to be like, whoa, fucking hell, uh, He-Man's battling Skeletor and shit like that. But like you said, it's not the He-Man and Skeletor show. It's Masters of the Universe. And that original series was not that great. If you go back and watch it, He-Man needed a lot of help from Manowar and from all his other people that helped, like Orko, you know, and, and Cringer. He needed a lot of help to do battle against uh, Skeletor when he saw it. So to have Tila kind of take the main center, I thought was great. I thought it was fun not to have fucking He-Man for the entire five. But like I was telling somebody else earlier today, there's another five left complaining. The next five might have He-Man and fucking Skeletor battling the entire time. You don't know. 
you can't really judge a series and say, fuck Kevin Smith, when you haven't seen the entire series yet. Like, hold your opinions until the end, folks. You know, wait until you see all ten, and then you can say, fuck Kevin Smith, we don't like it. You know, but then, give it time. It's not over yet. No. Well, I think, too, what happened is, though, is that as far as what the people are saying that he lied about, I think there was some kind of, uh, some kind of press event or some shit or some kind of Q&A. And somebody specifically asked him at that Q&A if Tila was going to be mm. the main character of the show. So my guess, somebody slipped and got something out. You know, somebody said right. something they shouldn't have said or somebody saw something they shouldn't have seen and that got out there. And that's, I don't see why else somebody asks that question. How do you know to ask that very specific question? To which he answered no. So can I see where you can twist it and say... Nah, he kind of lied. Yes, but you know what he did? He was keeping the fucking series a secret. That's all. Plain yeah. and simple. And, <laughs> and again, you know what? The next five episodes also might not have He-Man considering what happened at the end of that episode. <laughs> yeah. So if he oh, doesn't give us a He-Man series, I'm sorry, he's not giving you a He-Man series. If you really want to see He-Man and his adventures, you can go back and watch what start. Like, I looked at this episode, like, after I realized watching the first episode, like, wow, this really is almost as if you continued the original series. You know, with the only right. difference really being, like, as far as, like, the look of the series, like, the characters... Obviously, they're up mm-hmm. for today's animation, but what I loved was the fact that Adam doesn't look like He-Man with a different haircut and a pink shirt. <laughs> yes. Like, I yes. always thought yes. that was the loved weirdest it. thing. Like, you know, He-Man, even when he's Adam, is this hugely muscle-bound fucking guy <laughs> who just wears a pink yeah. shirt instead of no shirt <laughs> and his little battle chest thing. Um, yeah. People. Like, I like the fact that Adam was diminutive. You know, he looks small. Mm-hmm. It works better for me as far as making that character a character, so a change that I highly applaud. Um, so, yeah, I mean, I just think that, uh, I mean, obviously, look, people like to complain about things, and I think the people that complained right off the bat were a lot of trolls. Oh, yeah. um, Awful, yeah. But, yeah, it was, it was bad, but it is what it is, and if they're not happy with it, they're not happy with it. But guess what? Don't watch the next five, then. And, you know, you don't have to continue to watch. These people that are like, oh, he destroyed our childhood. He did, what are you talking about? Like, listen, man, if Kevin Smith putting out a cartoon that wasn't to your liking destroyed your childhood, I think you got other things to talk to your psychiatrist about. <laughs> that It just resounds everything I was saying online on Facebook earlier. When we had the same backlash in 2016 with Ghostbusters and the all-female reboot, they're destroying my childhood. Are they, though? Like, are you really that upset that there's an all-female reboot and you're going to go to your psychiatrist and say they're ruining my childhood? Just don't go see it, man. Just ignore it when it comes out. Ghostbusters listen, still, un- We're going to talk about that, too, but still. <laughs> those two movies are still and there. Unfortunately, look, that 2016 movie was bad. It had nothing to do with it mm-hmm. being a female cast. It had to do with poor nope. writing which was, like I've yep. said a thousand times on this show, is a shame because all of those women are hysterically funny and could have really made oh, yeah. a great Ghostbusters film. But whoever decided to write that script, obviously, I don't know. I don't know what you fucking did, but you know what? Sell it back to whoever fucking gave it to you because it didn't work. 
No, he just didn't know. And and with the last thing on He-Man, I mean, yeah, all the five episodes I found particularly entertaining. Like, I wasn't bored by any of them. But come on, that episode five, that final shot when Prince Adam finally gets the power sword back and he says, I have the power, and all of a sudden Skeletor shows up with his fucking spike, and then he just leans into the frame like, yeah, you're fucking dead, bro. Like, I was like, Dude, oh, shit, not only, Skeletor. Not only did he just, like, lean into the frame, <laughs> not only did he just... He popped into the shot with straight up horror movie style, man. He put that yeah. shit through his chest, man. The shit just came out the other side. And yes, absolutely. It was one of those, like, they choreographed it. I, you, know, you can see it coming a mile away. You knew oh, something yeah. was mm-hmm. going to happen. That wasn't exactly what I saw happening, though. So, yeah, for me, that was a bit of an oh shit moment. But again, I feel. Like, if they had more time to, like, really build things up and get us to that point where if we had, like, again, if that was episode 15 and we just spent this whole journey, you know, with Tila and Man-at-Arms and Orko and all of this stuff, you know, and worked up to that and that happened, yeah, you're talking, like, again, with that done right, that hits you like Optimus Prime dying in the Transformers, the fucking movie hit all of us kids when we saw that shit in the theater. Like, I remember sitting in the theater for that movie, watching that happening and being like, well, that's some fucking bullshit right there. How the fuck do you kill him and not, you know, how's he not coming back by the end of the movie? But no, he sure as shit didn't, you know? So, like, that was one of those fucking oh shit moments. I'll tell you what ruined your childhood, people, just so you know, too. Have you seen the Masters of the Universe movie by any chance? You know, the one with the fucking weird dwarf that had nothing to do with He-Man whatsoever and a fucking musical instrument called a keytar? That... That ruined my childhood. That ruined He-Man for me, I'll be honest with you. That actually is similar to the Transformers, the movie, killing off mm. Optimus and not and me not connecting to the Rodimus Prime character the same way. Right. And I believe a lot of other kids didn't either, which is why they ended up bringing Optimus back. Um, same thing happened. The Masters of the Universe movie came out, and I remember that being huge. And I remember being excited. Dolph Lundgren looked the part, you know, big, tall, blonde guy, muscles. Fucking, he beat up Rocky in Rocky Four. Like, <laughs> yep. dude, this guy's a no-brainer, mm-hmm. man. Come on. Yeah, nah. Like, I remember going to the theater, going to watch out with a bunch of other kids, and all of us walking out being like, that was He-Man, right? Like, where, where the fuck was Battle Cat? Where the fuck was Orko? You know, like, where were, where were the characters and the character designs and the outfits and all of the stuff that I expected to see in a He-Man movie that wasn't in the He-Man movie? I don't know. Oh, and, but, so the cartoon Frank version was oh. better than the Masters of the Universe movie. Yeah. Yep. Let's put it that way, guys. <laughs> For those of you that are, that are angrily writing Kevin Smith hate letters, it's better than that fucking movie. So, I mean, and you'll have to stay tuned for the next five, and let's see if, if their opinions change, and we see what happens next. But Skeletor being the master of the universe, and for that, I'm not looking well for the wear, unfortunately. <laughs> but I just, again, I, I like Mark Hamill. I think he's a great voice actor. He's great as a Joker, but he's just doing a Joker with a raspy voice. <laughs> That's all I took away from his, his Skeletor. It's just like the Joker has a cold, and he's just yelling at people. He could change it a little bit. I, you know what? I, I get that. I think he was just trying to keep the sound of, like, the 80s 
uh, I was going to say the 80s Joker, uh, the 80s Skeletor. Um, I'll yeah. tell you whose yeah. voice really killed it for me. Fucking what's-her-face is Tila. Her voice did oh, not Sarah match Michelle the Tila character. Yeah, Sarah Michelle Gellar, 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 however you say her name, did not match it at all. Too deep. It sounded like somebody in a recording studio recording lines. It did not sound like a character. Yeah. No, not at all. It just it felt forced. It was too light. It didn't match the character. It needed to be somebody else aside from Sarah Michelle Gellar, but... You know, the character was great, not so much the voice, um, fortunately. Why but, not get Lucy Lawless? Oh, the voice pretty good. You know what I mean? you got people that can yeah, ooh, do sure and who have done yeah. badass women. You know, get Linda fucking yeah. Hamilton. Get me somebody that ooh, I yep. know has been a badass woman on, on screen who I know has a distinctive voice that, that resonates mm-hmm. with power. I don't think, like, I know Buffy, you know, is obviously a badass female empowering character, and I'm all for that, but I don't think of... Sarah Michelle Gellar's voice and the Buffy character as, like, super powerful female. You know what I mean? I think of Buffy as what Buffy was created as. She's a valley girl who happens to be really good at killing vampires because she's got a destiny tied to it. Um, you know, and like I said, I, I get that there is all that in there, but, no, nah, they, they could have went with a better voice actress. Uh, definitely could have. But on the other hand, you have Justin, Justin Long as Roboto which I thought was great. And uh, Henry Rollins as Triclops, fucking killer. Mm -hmm. The whole Triclops techno cult thing was fucking amazing. I mean, that's not something you got in the original He-Man series. Again, that right there alone, that whole thing should have easily been a two to three episode arc. They had an entire (laughs) cult-like religion going, man. I mean, come on. It was built in. It's right there like I know I know Kevin it had to have been like listen guys this is going to pay off there's no way that this is not it's not going to work you know we got to do it this way and it will go like I just don't understand how he made something so short somebody that has mm-hmm. so many ideas and writes so much stuff all the time how did that come out so small I really would love to like ask him and just find out like was this really what you originally like saw this as being or did they say no yeah, it, it had to be some kind of a decision because it had so much potential to be fucking killer, and then it just kind of wrapped it up real quick. Like, yeah, yeah, no, we're on, we're on a different journey now. Yeah, we're we're finished with technical, but it, it could have been cool, easily, like you said, for a two to three episode arc. Um, but moving away from He Man, check it out. It's on Netflix. We kind of spoiled it for you, but like the ghoul said, at this point, are you really watching it? <laughs> you know, listening to us jab about it, or are you actually going to watch it? Well, check it out. Um, so the first show I want to get to tonight that we want to talk about is, of course, Ghostbusters Afterlife. The second show are dropped coming out uh, later this summer, later this – actually, no, I'm sorry, Thanksgiving is coming out. Um, but that second show, man, I, again, I'm going to give the floor to you because I wanted to hear your thoughts, and then I want to give mine as, as the Ghostbusters, you know, fucking fanboy that I am. But I wanted to hear what you thought about that second trailer. Uh, yeah, I mean, listen – Obviously, Ghostbusters the Afterlife, I'm similar to He-Man. You know, I'm going to try not to make this one as long-winded. But similar to He-Man, <laughs> Ghostbusters is one of those films that, as a kid, growing up in the 80s, I remember seeing in the theater. You know, I remember all the excitement and all the awesomeness that was the original Ghostbusters film. And I remember mm-hmm. all the excitement and everything about, you know, 
watching, getting excited to think I'm going to watch the cartoon on Channel 11. And that was the Ghostbusters from like the 1970s series or some shit like that. Being like, what the fuck is this? <laughs> then the real Ghostbusters came out. I was like, yay, there they are. Um, and then I remember Ghostbusters 2 as well, with all of the hubbub and excitement from that. So, Ghostbusters intrinsically tied. Ready? I'm going to use that trigger word. It's tied to my childhood. So There we go. Oh, so, so has it been destroyed? No, man. I mean, listen, there have been plenty of properties that have come out as pseudo-sequels. You know, I know years ago they came out with that Ghostbusters video game um, that, you know, I remember, if I remember for all intents and purposes, I think Harold Ramis himself said that, like, you know, this is really what we had written, or it might have been Dan Aykroyd. Like, this is what we wrote, yeah. and essentially this is really the storyline for the third Ghostbusters movie. Um, I never played the game because I saw bad reviews for it, and just any time I've ever tried to play a Ghostbusters video game, I just, I'm always disappointed with them. Um, you know, then, then we had uh, the, the Ghostbusters movie from a couple of years ago. Again, disappointed, bad writing. Did not go into that movie thinking these women are going to ruin the franchise and ruin my childhood. No, and I came out of that movie after seeing it and being like, well, they didn't ruin the original film or the sequel. They just didn't do a good job of writing a movie. Um, so with Afterlife being directly connected to the original series which is what I thought they should have did with the 2016 movie anyway. Um, right. I do have a little bit more excitement, I think. Um, mm-hmm. Obviously, this has been delayed because of COVID. This was supposed to come out last year. Uh, it's been pushed. We've been waiting for it. Been waiting for trailers. You know, uh, the, the first trailer was like a nice tease. Dave hints. We saw some cool things. This second trailer, though, it hit me like in the right way and you know giving us those those little tastes uh, of the original stuff seeing a little bit more of paul rudd and what he's going to be bringing to the to the movie you know seeing the uh that scene in the bookstore you know that oh yeah scene alone for me boom that was it like i saw that and i was like oh yeah it's time so, yes, that is something that I am highly anticipating, highly excited for. I hope it doesn't dash and kill me if it's terrible, but I can guarantee you that it will not destroy my childhood, nor will it ever dampen my feelings for the original film. But for all intents and purposes, I really hope they deliver something special. Yeah, what do you, you think know, about and, it? I, I was already excited based off the first trailer. I was like, okay, this is fun. I'm looking forward to it. You know, let's, let's see what happens. I didn't expect the second one. You know, I was like, maybe we'll see it closer to November. But the fact that it got released, I watched it a couple times. And, yeah, it just it hits you in all the nostalgia in all the right places. I mean, you get to see all the classics from the first Ghostbusters. There's a shot of Gozer coming out of the, the, the mine that happens real quick. There's the terror dogs. Um, there's some mm-hmm. classic ghoul-looking zombies. No, I was agreeing. Yeah, no, I remember seeing the doze, the Gozer dogs and all that stuff, man. That's what <laughs> yeah. they call them, the terror yeah, the, dogs. I never knew they had a name. Yeah, the terror. Yeah. Well, they call them terror dogs in canon, I guess. That's what I call them. But uh, terror dogs. So yeah, you get to see Gozer, um, some of the ghoul-looking zombie creatures that come out, like from the first one, driving the cab. You know, shows up. You get to see mm-hmm. the little Stay Puffs in the store. So I guess that's actually going to be in the movie. Like I thought it was just going to be like a promotional tool for those marshmallows, but I guess it's actually going to be in the movie, heavily inspired by Walmart. So I guess they uh, helped fund the movie. 
because it's like a major section takes place at Walmart. But uh, yeah. seeing Annie Potts back is was fuck for me. I was like, oh shit! Like there's Janine Melnick. There was, like, she's there's in the Janine. house, and well, makes me wonder too, if she did Janine's... have something with ego. Yeah, which is what I thought at first as well. But then I remembered in the second movie she gets with Lewis Tully. She does, so, yeah. She may not necessarily be those kids' grandma. So that, that could really be true leads too. to where it leads to that possibly could be Ray's farmhouse. You know, we don't know. It could be. That's what's so exciting. This is like still the same living, breathing <laughs> world as our Ghostbusters. Yeah. But here we are. We don't yeah. know what happened to our Ghostbusters. You know, like I'm fucking like, yes, no. yes. like I don't want to see any more trailers. I don't, you know, I know, <laughs> no, I know that it was, you yeah. know, it's Bill Murray's voice at the end. That's what I know. So I know we got yeah. Bankman. You know, we've got Bankman. No, that's, that's right. Oh, is that Ray? Okay, Ray see, voice I heard that was Bill, Bill Murray's voice. So that's Ray stance at the end. So we know Ray's still alive then. Yeah, because he's in the occult bookstore. That's Ray's occult bookstore that uh, which, has the hand reach out, reach out to the phone well. for clothes. Yeah, no, that's definitely, I could tell the voice. It's definitely Dan Aykroyd. They show Bill Murray in the clips on YouTube, you know, from the original commercials that they shot back in 84. But, no, there was mm-hmm. no, I didn't hear any uh, Bill Murray. I didn't see any of Winston. So they're definitely keeping those two out of frame for right now, and I'm happy with that. I don't need to see them. I'd rather wait for the movie to come out. So I can see how they, they come out and perform for them. But uh, I don't know. For me, seeing the fucking Ecto-1, the OG Ecto-1, bursting out of that barn, sirens going, light flashing, the gunner seat popping out. Like, I was like, the kid in me is screaming at the top of my lungs with excitement because I love that mm-hmm. fucking car. And that siren is so iconic with those two movies. And like you said, at the end, when you see the hand reach up and you see it's raise a cold bookstore, 7 p.m. weekdays, midnight Saturdays. I just I was like, oh, he still owns it. He still owns the bookshop. Like, he never gave it up. So it was just they gave you what you wanted. They're like, listen, that first one might have excited you. This one we're going to fucking hit you right in the fields. Like all Ghostbusters mm-hmm. fans are going to appreciate this one and stay tuned mm-hmm. until Thanksgiving. Um, I know Hasbro released a new line of plasma figures for um, this movie. So they have the kids in uh, Ghostbusters uniforms, but they also have the OG Ghostbusters, minus Egon, but with gray hair, completely on Bill Murray, a little bit of gray in Ray's hair, a little bit of gray in Winston's hair. So they have released them in uniform. So they could be suiting stop. up for this movie. Stop. Stop. So, see, yeah. you, like, see, you start talking. Don't look at the pictures. why I avoid all that stuff. Don't look at the pictures. Because they could just be figures. I mean, they could just be selling shit, like fucking He-Man. <laughs> you know, I mean, who True. knows if they're actually going to don the uniforms. I mean, you know, it's just the variants. I mean, I have the OG on my shelf right now, the Ecto-1, but it was cool to see, like, because you know the little kids suit up. You know, they, they yeah. somehow yeah. find yeah. little kids uniforms. Look, you see that in the trailer, and I'm, I'm playing anyway. <laughs> I mean, look, you know me. I just like, I like no spoilers whatsoever. And that is yeah. something over the last couple of years that has kind of, like, just niggled me a little bit is that whole toy line release thing like some of the stuff mm-hmm. that like, we particularly like to watch especially the marvel stuff you know like with black widow like there were whole toys like because i guess everything got and i guess because the delay hurts that as well because they released the toy line regardless of the movie actually coming out so there was stuff that's that, right yeah. you know you'd know based on the toys released because you know if they're releasing the toy then it's got to be in the movie 
so then it was like, all right. So now I really got to like, I got to close my eyes off to, I close my eyes off to everything just to just to avoid this kind of stuff. But again, I would love, you know, honestly, as crazy as it sounds, man, it was a surprise. Kill him in the beginning. Let him show up to do something. You know kill what? Him. You're like, wow, poof. <laughs> yeah, do a fucking gun, you know. <laughs> we all get it's taken out by an electromagnetic pulse. Tell Kevin Smith about talk to Kevin Smith about it. He'll let you know how successful it goes if you kill all the all the Ghostbusters right at the beginning of the episode, man. Right at the beginning of the movie. It'd be perfect. They ruined my childhood by killing off the original Ghostbusters. Yeah, they don't, you know, but you can't hear yeah, that again. They I don't did know. that in 2016. They couldn't have fixed it, could they? I don't know. <laughs> they had the original Ghostbusters in that movie for those fanboys, so. You get, you know, your Bill Murray and your, your uh, you know, Ernie Hudson and Dan Aykroyd all show up in that movie. So, you know, as cameos, not as their characters, though. True. That was the important true. thing. That is very true. It's, it's not them, you know. I mean, I, like I said, I, I paid no attention to that Ghostbusters 2016 movie. And as a huge Ghostbusters fan myself, I just, okay, it exists, but so do the first two Ghostbusters movies and the cartoon which is what got me into the Ghostbusters in the first place. Like he was He-Man. That cartoon is what got me into Ghostbusters and watching it heavily on HBO when it came out, and then seeing Ghostbusters 2 in theaters in 1990, which was like the ultimate mm-hmm. fucking dream. Even though it came out in 89, they were playing it in a dollar theater named James Way. So, yeah, my dad took me to go see it. So I was, bought the soundtrack the same day on cassette because I fucking love Bobby Brown. <laughs> Got to get that Ghostbusters Wait. TV soundtrack. Are you talking about the <laughs> yeah. Pond Road Theater, man? No, the one that used to be over by James Way. The Dollar Theater over there. Where was, where was James Way? <clears throat> that was uh, down in Route 9 going towards Howell. That was, uh, it's like a gym now. It's like a wild gym or something like that now. But it used to be a movie theater. Okay, no, like, no. Just oh, you're ta- past them all. You were talking about a Burlington Coat Factory. Okay, so that was actually, okay, so no. You're thinking the wrong theater. That wasn't the Dollar mm. Theater at that time. Okay. And that was still the that was still the freehold. I don't think it was called the multiplex. That was like the freehold six. That theater oh, still had right. regular. That showed six movie. The, that still showed like six or seven movies. That was the theater mm-hmm. in this area until they built the multiplex, the AMC Metroplex or whatever they called it, Lowe's. I think it was at that time. Um, that one by the freehold mall. So at that right, point, what right. they did was they used to have the Pond Road movie theater across the street from where uh, Best Buy is now. I remember uh, where that one was, too. That was the Buffet. Yes, 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 exactly. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, oh, yeah, the uh, Tokyo Buffet, whatever it is. It's like a Chinese and sushi <laughs> place now. Um, yeah, but, yeah, but I remember that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That used to be the $2 and $1 movie theater. Yeah, man, I saw a ton of films there. So Robin Hood there. Oh, yeah. No, I do spitball. Yeah, I went to that one, too. Me and my buddy used to load up spitballs and straws and shoot them at all the people <laughs> that were, like, sitting in the rows ahead of us. And then we'd duck. So that they'd just get mad, like, not knowing where the fuck they came from. <laughs> but uh, moving away from Ghostbusters, which does come out in November, Thanksgiving, I believe, is what the trailer did say. Uh, the other show I wanted to talk about is Chucky, the TV series for sci-fi. They've released the full trailer to kind of show you what Chucky's been up to. Uh, you know, I have my thoughts on it, but cool. You watched it as well. What do you think about Chucky and uh, where he's at now in this TV series and sci-fi? You know, like, uh, <laughs> here's the funny thing with Child's Play, man. You know, like, yeah, know. for me with Child's Play, it's it's kind of like how a lot of people view other 
multi-film series. I really mm-hmm. only look at Child's Play as being the first film. And everything yeah. else that kind of came after that was so mediocre, so much of a letdown, including the second movie, which, you know, I've gone into detail as far as my experience with that in the theater. Um, you know, midnight, opening night, hugely disappointing after dragging my uncle, who laughed the entire time, and I'm mm-hmm. fucking sitting there, like, looking at him, like, why are you laughing at this? This is serious business, and this movie is bad. Um, you know, like... Like, it's like, what the hell? I want to be scared like the first fucking movie. What the hell is going on in this? So, uh, you know, I'm going to go into this with very, very little expectation. I'm glad Dorif is obviously doing the voice of Chucky. I'm glad that, you know, whatever, Jennifer Tilly, it's Jen, right? Jen Tilly does that one, not Meg. Yeah. Um, mm-hmm. you know, yeah. She's Meg did that. And all too. that stuff. Uh, mm-hmm. I, uh... Yeah, I mean, I'm, I'm glad. I, I, it all depends on what they're going to fucking do with it. That's what it's going to come down to. Does, is it going to be comedy hour, or is it going to be back to its roots and try to be like a, a horror movie again? Um, from what I see right. in the trailer, it kind of looks like it's going to toe more towards being horror than it is comedy. Mm-hmm. But, you know, that could also just be clever editing for a trailer. And, you know, when the fucking show comes on, it's, you know, they killed Chucky in the first five minutes and everybody's going, what the fuck? I'm watching a Chucky series without Chucky in it. You ruined my childhood. <laughs> See? Child's Play 2 ruined my childhood. <laughs> yeah. yeah, I mean, I, I watched it again this afternoon, just kind of refresh, and it looks good. I mean, it looks like Don Mancini's trying to put the ideas that he had for the original Child's Play, what he called Blood Buddies. Uh, where it was them making a blood pact between the doll and the kid, and the kid actually, like, helped kill with Chucky. Kind of putting that mm-hmm. in there with this teenager that, that finds Chucky. Um, they do have, like, the silly one-liners that I thought was a little bit too much for the trailer. I was like, save some of the show. You know, especially the one where he's laying in bed with a little girl, and he's like, I'm going to get up and kill your sister now. You want to come? Like, no, I don't think so. Oh, you're lost. I'm like, well, you know, save that for the show. <laughs> I, you know, save that, you know, for, for when I watch it, you know, because you're giving me the, the funny before I see it, like all the good comedy trailers do, where they give you all the funny shit, and then you go to the theater, like, well, that was in the trailer. Like, it was funny then, not funny yeah. now, but um, nope. I'm hoping that they bring a little bit more of the gore, because it definitely looks like they're they're not going to hold back a lot, because there was a, a death of a, a maid where she falls into the uh, dishwasher, lands on all the knives, pause it, you'll miss it type of thing, but it looked pretty gnarly, so... For sci-fi to, to maybe make a little bit more of a violent show, I'd be happy with. But, you know, they obviously didn't show, like you said, Jennifer Tilly's character, uh, you know, Jennifer, um, Tiffany, rather, her character. And, or they show uh, Dora's uh, daughter. I keep forgetting her name. But uh, Fiona. She, she plays the actual Chucky. Yeah, Fiona. Fiona Dora. Where she turns into Chucky at the end of Cult of Chucky, which was a terrible movie. I hated that movie. But, so I'm kind of hoping for less of that. Because it, after coming off of, which I thought was perfect, and then to go to Colt, mm-hmm. I thought it was such a departure. I was like, <laughs> we see that he can make a scary Chucky movie with, with Curse, and then he goes and makes Colt. So it's like he, one step forward, one step back. So yeah, I'm kind of hesitant. It was to weird. Yeah. Right? I was yeah, so excited. I'm not the only one. 
Like, yeah. You know, like Curse, yeah. I really, really enjoyed. I was happy that they brought it back. Like, hey, let's get back to this, to, 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 a, to a horror film. Um, yes, I get it. You know, it's Chucky. And how scary is it really when it's a fucking walking, talking, my buddy doll? Um, <laughs> but, you know, it can still be suspenseful. It can still have mm-hmm. gore. And, yep. you know, we've obviously seen with, like, Nightmare on Elm Street that you can still have a villain who can be somewhat scary and still throw off one-liners. Um, mm-hmm. but, you know, again, like, I, I really – the, the things that I really enjoyed about that very first film was the fact that it kind of was like – you could see he was trying to go with the police angle of, did the kid actually – is the kid a killer? Is he just crazy? And he's blaming it on the doll, or is it the doll itself? Is it a combination of both? All things that are hinted at in that first movie, but ultimately because we know from the beginning of that movie that Charles Lee Ray is in that doll, we know that the doll is the killer. Plus all the trailers ruined all that shit anyway, even back then in the 80s. Was that 87, I think? Um, Yeah. You know, and I remember knowing going into that, being like, oh, yeah, well, the fucking doll's the killer. You know, you saw it. (laughs) So it was like, all right. Um, but yeah, I think if they would have put out a film where it was like, hey, you know, is it the kid or is it the doll? And then you find out at the end it's the doll. It's like, oh, shit, you just tricked the fuck out of me. Um, you know, so I, I'd like to, I wouldn't mind seeing them go into this thing where maybe, maybe you build on the whole idea behind Cult of Chucky because at the end of that, wasn't it the idea that he could put himself in like multiple beings or some shit? Yeah. Yeah, he could so, Lord I mean, Voldemort himself. Up, so. So maybe he makes a bunch of horcruxes, and there's all these, like, this whole, like, let's build a children's army, you know, of Chucky killers, man. And, like, I'm down. You want to get into some crazy, kooky fucking shit that's playing on today's society, like, weird things? Go ahead. My big worry with sci-fi, yes, I want to, you know, it doesn't need to be super gory bloody, but I do want some, some bloodletting, but most of all, I don't want sci-fi level CGI blood because their CGI blood for anything on that damn channel is terrible. So, yeah. And that's why I was kind of glad to see when Chucky was moving around and talking, it didn't look too CGI. It actually looks like practical puppets. So I was kind of happy with that mm-hmm. as opposed to like a CGI puppet walking around, which would fucking look terrible. Um, it still looks like it could be fun. You know I mean? Like I said, I'm just hoping for some fun kills. You know, hopefully they ease up on the one-liners and they give a little bit of horror. You know, it's obviously not going to be a mystery. We know that, that it's Charles Lee Ray. We're also going to get the background of Charles Lee Ray because they did show him as a kid in the trailer. The, the weird Halloween oh, homage. Yeah, he's the oh, little kid in the beginning with the candy. When he, when he got in with the Haitians and the voodoo people in prison, and he's like, oh, hey, Daka Shakalaka, or whatever his name is. <laughs> I, yeah. I still love, I still the love that ultimately, ultimately, when you talk about child's play, you know, everybody talks about the doll. Everybody talks about it's a killer doll. Everybody seems to forget that that killer doll is somebody that got his powers from a fucking Haitian voodoo prince or some shit. That, you know, that, that's what Charles Lee Ray oh, learned yeah, what he learned. You know, all part of, the, uh, all part of the, the craze that was voodoo back in the 80s. <laughs> Yeah, and that's, again, the that leads to how good that movie was. Yeah, it just it leads to why that movie was so good, though. Like, it just it didn't get as absurd as it did towards, like, that third movie. Like, the first one kept it firmly kind of in horror, but with a little bit of comedy. But it's still, it was scary. 
You know, it, mm-hmm. it kept the suspense. Like when when Kath, when Catherine Hicks finds that the batteries aren't in the back, and all of a sudden Freddie turns out, "You fucking bitch! You about fucking killing me!" Like insane Dude, that she's being attacked. Shit. Yeah. <laughs> we had all that. Yeah. Like, cause again, like I was a little bit too old for that kind of stuff. But like my little sister, uh, she had a Teddy Ruxpin doll. You know, so, like, obviously, you know, my buddy was a huge thing back then, but my buddy wasn't, like, animated. He wasn't, like, an animatronic toy or anything like that. Neither were Cabbage Patch Kids. Teddy Ruffsman and pals. Yeah, Teddy Ruffsman, like, sat there. You put a cassette in his back, and he'd start talking and telling you the story, looking like them creepy motherfuckers from uh, Chuck E. Cheese and shit, standing up there on stage and everything. I mean, you want to see horrifying. You want to watch true horror, right? Go to any Chuck E. Cheese, you know, post, obviously, pandemic. Now you gotta you got to wait it out a bit. But go to any Chuck E. Cheese, okay? And watch all the fucking animatronics on the stage doing their little guitar playing and all that shit. But even better, you want to see true horror? Wait until the birthday kids have to actually come face-to-face with a person in that fucking Chuck E. Cheese costume and outfit. That right there is full-on horror. You will see kids having fucking nightmare fuel for the rest of their lives because that shit is that kind of, like, impact, man. Because that thing comes out of, they look like fucking horror dolls on the stage as it is. So for him to come out of the fucking door over there, I know I'd be confused as a kid. I'd be like, wait, how's he there and there at the same time? Mommy, take me home. <laughs> it's just, it's disturbing things that happened in the 80s that kind of was supposed to be fun, but it's just nightmare fuel. But So, yeah, I believe uh, Chucky will be debuting sometime in October, uh, sometime around the Halloween season on Sci-Fi. So you have to stay tuned for that. And talking about sci-fi, uh, they also have their Day of the Dead series that's set to release in October as well. Um, I don't know how many episodes, but I, knew, I do know it's episodic. They released the trailer um, earlier this week. Uh, so I gave it to you, Ghoul, to check out for the show. Uh, what are your thoughts on it? <laughs> yeah. I'm more excited. You know what? It's just a little nutty, but I might be actually a little more. I thought... When you said they were releasing the day, they released the day of dead trailer. I thought you were talking about that uh, Night of the Living Dead Part Two movie that has oh no people no. coming yeah. in from Day of the Dead. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I was really excited for it, but then I saw that it's like a new <laughs> series or whatever it is. Uh huh. It feels like it feels like Z Nation. It feels like every other yeah. yep. you know like zombie TV series that tried to come out with like a skew towards action and comedy more than just, mm-hmm. and like I know it says, you know, like, Oh, we go based on George A. Romero, the Godfather. <laughs> um, but it felt as far detached from George Romero's work as could possibly be. Um, you know, George always told, you know, regardless of what you felt, about his movies or their quality, or in some cases the lack thereof, he always had consistency with the living dead world. You know, the zombies, either they moved a certain way, there was a certain hierarchy, your people, everything was always very muted, very slow, because the world has grinded to a halt. The dead Mm -hmm. are not just the people that came back to life, the dead are actually those that are still living. It's kind of like the walking dead. You know, it's the idea. Um, So being that the world around you has died, that is the story to be told. So this just looked like it was a little too much, too much action-y 
to, to be in line with, like, the Romero world. But, hey, look, you know what? He also gave us Land of the Dead, and that was his take on, like, an mm-hmm. action-y type of movie. So, take that for Yeah, what it was. you know, and, like, because I, I was like, all right, so I already knew it was coming out because the dean had talked about it, how sci-fi was going to make a Day of the Dead series, and that the creators had said that they're going to pay some kind of homage to Romero, you know, in some way, shape, or form. It's not going to be, like, a sequel, but it's going to be homaging him. I hit play in the trailer, and I saw that they had Pennsylvania license plates. So I said, okay, you know, I mean, we're keeping it, you know, where George is from, where the zombie, you know, craze started in 68. And then it just went into, we're going to be really funny. We're going to be a lot like The Walking Dead with our zombies. And it just, it, it was ruined. But then they had the title cards. The Ode to George A. Romero, Godfather of the Zombie. And I was like, leave his name out of this. It's like, the man is dead. He can't come back and defend himself. You know, this, this just isn't, it just isn't Day of the Dead. If you want to make a Day of the Dead series, make it like George did back in 85, when he made a very, very dark, very dark humor, you know, semi-political movie that I know the Dean loves, and I know I, I enjoy it, and you do too. I mean, that movie is dark. It has some dark humor, but it, it's good in its own way. This is a guy with two guns going, look at me, I'm Deadpool. No, no, not, not, not yeah, my too many. Too many meta, like, yep. co- like obviously this is going to be taking place either in our near future or an alternate current world. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. But whatever yeah. this is, it's a world in which Deadpool obviously came out. Because Deadpool <laughs> yeah. is not something you saw referenced before Ryan Reynolds. You know, like Deadpool was a comic book character that comic book fans and nerds knew about, you know, but he wasn't the the huge fucking thing that you see today because of the Ryan Reynolds movie. Exactly. Yeah. It's it's another one of those series that feels like they have to be very current, you know, and and very much in the pop culture zeitgeist and make all these references. And uh, to be honest, like the zombies just... it looked very boring. It just looked like they watched an episode of The Walking Dead, and they're like, we could do that too. Like, make a zombies different. Like, why does everybody have to copy, you know, Greg Nicotero when they make zombies? Like, you know, Romero was doing his own thing too when he made zombies. He didn't have anybody to go off of. He just decided what he thought was cool, what Tom Savini thought was cool. But this one just looks like they're ripping off The Walking Dead. And I just, you know, it's fine. I mean, but just do your own thing. You know, don't rip off somebody else. You know, you want to make, you're already ripping them off by making a dead series. So, I don't know. Like you said, Z, yeah, Z Nation I mean, was okay. I enjoyed Z Nation. Which it was, yeah. I mean, I liked the first couple of seasons of it. Um, mm-hmm. I think we watched the first two, maybe. Like, once it started getting yeah. into the, like, hey, we're smoking, like, zombie weed or some shit like that. And, like, look, yeah, don't get me wrong. Yeah. I, I enjoy stoner comedy. I really do. But <laughs> when you start off a series one way, and then suddenly it's turning into this whole, like, zombie stoner thing, it was just such a drastic turn that I was kind of like, eh, this is a bit of a turnoff. I really don't want to watch this anymore. And so we just never bothered going back. Um, yeah, I think, you know, the cool girl says it all the time nowadays. You know, but the fact of the matter is this. The zombie thing is kind of dead at this point. You know, we've got one more season of Walking Dead. That starts, like, what, next month, I think? Uh, Yes. Sometime in August, I believe. Um, Mm -hmm. Yeah, the first part, whatever it is. Um, 
you know, so I think it's time to kind of like put it to bed for a little while. All of the, the people that have been making, you know, zombie series and things that are just trying to be the next Walking Dead or mimic the Walking Dead or the, well, we're not really going to be like the Walking Dead. We're something different. They're not zombies. They're Zeds or they're not this, they're that. Um, no, <laughs> yeah. you know what? I mean, the fucking zombies. Zombies are zombies, man. It's time to like either, either <laughs> pick up on some older monster and let's start making like yeah. you know let's make some good Gilman series you know like, like, like let's get into sure, the, I'll be from the black lagoon type of shit you know like i don't know i don't know what the next thing will be like i know we had vampires all over the place in the early 2000s you know like that, that was the whole oh, big yeah. blade underworld all that shit and unfortunately Twilight. underworld tied into the werewolves as well so that kind of yeah it did so we've kind of had our share of the last 20 years of vampires, werewolves, and zombies. So yeah. I think it's time to like kind of get into some, some, some newer monsters here. Let's, let's, the Google always feels like the werewolves haven't gotten their fair share yet. Um, I don't necessarily, I just, I, I just don't agree with that completely, only because I feel like there's only so much you could really do with werewolves. Um, right. I also always feel like they work better like they do in the Underworld series where you kind of combine them a bit with the vampire thing only because you kind of give yourself a natural enemy that way. Um, But, you know, aside from that, you know, I don't know. Figure something out, people. You know, that's why you guys get paid millions of dollars. If I I could think of it, I'd fucking get paid too. That's right. Yeah, if we could all think of a new thing, we would. But, yeah, just the the zombie thing, the crazy... Yeah, something aliens, you know, something aquatic, like you said with the Gilman, you know, but yeah, the zombies has played out. It's been done to death. Vampires have been done to death. Werewolves, we already had the Ginger Snap series and Dog Soldiers and Blood for Chocolate and the Underworld series. And it's not like werewolves haven't had their day. They did. You know, they just had it earlier than the zombies, so we forget about them. But, no, they they definitely had their day. But, you know, I mean, what, why don't we just talk about witches, which is the, uh, the main part of what we're talking about tonight. Was to drag through the ditches and burn all the witches and slam it to the back of my Dragula. That's Suspiria brought to you by Rob Zombie. No, just kidding. (laughs) Definitely not brought to us by Rob. What a movie that would have been. So before we do go to Suspiria, I know you were trying to segue that right there, and it was it was fairly smooth. You didn't didn't do too terrible of a job with that one. I uh, tried, but but I'm going to grind it to a quick halt. Surely. Only because I know there was one other one that I was excited to to chat a little bit about. Okay, and I know you should be too. Dexter, new blood. Hell yeah, trailer. What'd you think about it? Uh, no, what'd you think about that, man? You were you're definitely between the two of us. You're the bigger Dexter fan, so this one, the floor is yours, man. Again, it's it's because it's been such a long time since Dexter has been on air that I kind of forgot about how much I love that original series, even past the Trinity Killer series uh, uh, season, which I thought was the peak. And then everything after that was kind of all the way downhill. Um, but just seeing him back and in a different environment, now we're in upstate New York, it's snowy, it's not sunny, sexy Miami anymore. Uh, I really did love the setting. I love the fact that he's kind of settled into a new life in, with an assumed name, so nobody can find him. Uh, Clancy Brown playing the main villain is a huge fucking plus for me because I fucking love Clancy Brown anything that he does. So to see him in the trailer, you know, as the, the show's villain is going to be great. But just to see, you know, and trying to keep his dark passenger at bay, uh, I can't wait to see what they do with it. I know that uh, the dean brought it up that John Lithgow is going to come back in some way, shape, or form. 
as Arthur Mitchell. Uh, I, obviously, it has to be a flashback. I can't wait for that episode, but we'll see. I just seeing Michael C. Hall again, pick up the mantle, pick up the knife. I just I was excited. I can't wait for for uh, I think October seventh it's going to come out. So, what did you think about it? Uh yeah. You know what? I didn't realize how much I really wanted to see Dexter continue until I saw Dexter <laughs> yep. continuing. Because now yeah. I'm like sitting here and yeah. already like starting to like turn the gears in my head. Like, how is he getting away with this? What's he keeping under control? Is he still killing? Like, what's he doing? What's he not doing? Like, yeah, I really want to know. Like, so okay, so you just said something that I didn't know. So the series is going to take place in upstate New York. I couldn't tell. I thought it was Correct. Canada. Okay, yeah, so no, upstate, upstate New, New York. York. Very, very cool. And yeah, you know, just like you. For me, same thing with Clancy Brown. Clancy Brown automatically just bumps things up for me. You know, like, and I, I know yeah. Clancy Brown from a ton of things. You know, obviously Pet Cemetery too. You know, freaking, yeah. I was going to say Super Troopers, but Starship Troopers. Uh, there, <laughs> yeah. There's a series that needs to be combined. They need to make Super Starship Troopers. You know, and you combine Ooh, you the boys go. of Vermont with... You know, the, the hijinks of the Space Colonial Marines, or whatever they were called, the Star Federation. Anyway. I <laughs> yeah, I would too, man. That would actually be kind of interesting. Broken Lizard should, should yeah. start making some talks. Probably be better than fucking <laughs> Starship Troopers 2, Hero of the Federation, which didn't no, have Clancy wow. Brown. No, it had the guy who kind of looked like him, but no, he was Zed. Um, <laughs> so, yeah, seeing Clancy Brown again, for me, he did it for me. Like, what, what seriously for me put him 100% like on my radar all the time, Carnival. He was so great as Brother oh, yeah. Justin yep. in Carnival that, like, it just completely, like, yeah, so, so fantastic. And uh, like I said, for years, stumping for years that he should have been the man in black. He really would have been able to turn that well. Um I think that, you know, oh, had I they agree, done yeah. that when he was, just, you know, in the, the 2000s, when he was still kind of had, like, enough, he had enough wear on him to where, mm-hmm. you know, he obviously looked like he could be a mature, dark wizard, as the man in black is, but still <laughs> vibrant enough to be alive. Um, now I think he's just a little bit too up in age. Um, but, yeah, now, again, I'm, uh, I'm stoked for it. And, yeah, what I'm figuring we're going to see John Lithgow back as uh, – Probably similar to how we saw, I don't know about flashbacks, I'm thinking like almost Force Ghost-esque. Just like he also Ooh, okay. always talked to yep. Harry, I have a feeling he's going to be talking to, to him as well, Arthur. And we do know that James Remar is not coming back, so could be the, mm-hmm. the Force Ghost, the Dexter to bring him back. You know, I know none of the other cast, I think they said Jennifer Carpenter might be in it as Deb, so that's definitely got to be maybe like the good Force Ghost. Balancing him out. That would be fun. The Maybe. devil and the angel on his shoulders. Wouldn't possibly, mind it. Possibly. Yeah. I mean, we might get more of a mention towards death than anything else. She's the kind of person and the kind of character that they would like. They'll pop in at the end of the season to give you that, like, shocking moment as a cliffhanger for what could possibly be the future of the series if it continues. Yeah, I'm not sure if they're planning on continuing on, because I know that I read an article where they said that they wanted this to be technically the series finale. But they want to make it up to the fans that hated the series finale as it aired with him in Canada. So they were thinking about making this, like, the, the ending. You know, so I don't know what they had planned, but, you know, maybe this might be the definitive conclusion to Dexter. 
we'll see, see what man. You know how everything <laughs> is these days, dude. Something sniffs a little bit of money, you know, Showtime ends yeah. up getting a bunch of bunch of new subscribers and uh you know, all bets are off as far as, you know, doing whatever they're gonna do with it. Completely mm-hmm. agree. All right, so yeah, I, I can't wait. I mean, I'm so far excited. Ever since I first heard it announced, I was like, Dexter's coming back, the Dark Passenger's back. You know, I can't wait to see it. somebody on his slab again, wrapped in plastic. That's just so cool. <laughs> Still, the Dark Passenger thing, man, that's the one thing that I just I can never get over. Like, it annoys me. I just, I hate that fucking term. Like, I just, I can't. I wish they could have come up with something, something better than that. It just, it's just like, eh, it irks me. It's lazy writing is what it is. <laughs> We are not getting paid dark to write these scripts, unfortunately. So. I've got a, a dark passenger sitting behind me at all times, watching me, waiting me, <laughs> guiding me. Masturbating. Just can't help all me. the time. Masturbating. I can't. <laughs> One hand covering his mouth. The other hand gripping tightly its loins, touching, feeling. Sorry. Text him. Can't wait. Yeah, I know. Dark passenger at all. Yeah, wait. All right. So. Let's get into Suspiria, uh, your pick for 2018. Look at Guadagnino. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Uh, so that's how we're going. So, so all right. So let's, uh, yeah. So, so I guess your normal question is, well, why did you pick it? And what did you think about it? Uh, well, Those are the two. Because I've had it. <laughs> <laughs> I picked it because I've had it. It's one that I bought when it first came out and never got around to watching. I know mm-hmm. that, you know, you're a huge Jalo fan, a uh, big fan of the yeah. original as well. Uh, and, yeah, yeah. And, yeah, it's kind of why I picked it, I guess. It's just it's something I felt was a good good thing for you and me to discuss because we can both bounce yeah. ideas and things like that back and forth and uh, and not have the, the, the noise of the children chattering around. Um, so, so what did I think of it? Uh, so yes, being a, I, I really had wanted to watch this twice prior to the show. Unfortunately, I only got in one viewing. It's a long movie at two and a half hours. Um, yeah. I think the easiest way to describe what I think about it was pretty much like how I felt when the movie was over. And that was, what the fuck? fuck did I just watch? <laughs> because it was everything that I wanted it to be mm-hmm. while strangely at the same time formulating all of these questions and thoughts that I hoped would be answered based on the material of the first film. But instead it just Made, it answered certain things, but made a whole shit ton more questions than it answered. That's for shit short. So I think first and foremost, we can say for a fact that this is not necessarily a remake. This is definitely more no. of a reimagining, um, or mm-hmm. like, I guess like Luca, who, I don't know how to say his last name, Guadagnino or whatever it is. He says that, you know, yeah. this is a, Guadagnino, this is an homage to the original film. It yeah. takes place in a similar framework, but really takes a much different narrative. Oh, that's for certain. <laughs> Definitely so how did you certain. feel I mean, about yeah. it? Yeah. Um, yeah, I first heard about it back in 2018 when I, when I heard that they were making it. I said, that's fucking impossible. But no, it's just impossible. 
Like Suspiria is one of those, just you can't touch it. It's just, it, it's fine the way that it is. I mean, it's a 70s movie, yes, but it's fine the way it is. It's a great hour and 38-minute Technicolor nightmare. It's surreal. It's weird. You know, the twist at the end works because they don't grind it to a halt to explain everything. It's just there for you. And when Luca Guadagnino said, I'm remaking it, and I'm fine, he got the script rights off of Dario and his wife at the time, Dario Nicolotti, who unfortunately passed away last year. Uh, and he, he made his, his movie, which has nothing to do with the original Suspiria. It's basically, like you had said, it's a reimagining. It's him basically taking little pieces of the original Suspiria and making his own film with it. Um, he changed the color palette to a winter color. The score, even though it's from Tom York of Radiohead, uh, there practically wasn't a score. I mean, I was so disappointed because Goblin did the original score and it's so memorable to all of us that love those 70s Giallos. Goblin was like there for everything. And this mm-hmm. didn't really have a score. And it was so fucking long. I mean, the first time I saw it, I was like, this movie, it could have ended like an hour ago. You know, how did Dario manage to make an hour and 38-minute movie? And Luca's like, fuck you, I'm making a two-and-a-half-hour movie in six acts and an epilogue. You know, and it felt like two hours and 25 <laughs> minutes. So when I first saw it, I basically just said, nah, it was okay. I, I didn't hate it. I didn't love it. I just said it was him doing his own thing. It was a very fucking long movie with an incredible what-the-fuck ending is that? Like, you're, you're not going to explain that to us. You're just going to give it to us and then go, all right, bye. Like, you know, I, I don't know. Um, so I rewatched it for the show, and my opinion was the exact same. It's just th- there's no spirit to this movie. Like, literally, there's no soul to this. It feels very just downplayed, and all the performances are very downplayed. And the fact that they give you what the people are in the dance school right away, they tell you what they are. They're witches. They tell you right away. This is what we're dealing with, and, and uh, Susie coming to the school, you know, she might possibly be the new Mother Marcos or the new, you know, Madame Blanc, and that's what we're going to give it to you. That's what I hated about this movie. Don't give that away to us right at the beginning. Dario didn't. Dario waited until the end of the movie, and he's like, ah, they're witches, ah, ciao, and just dances away into the night, you know, and it, that was fucking phenomenal because you waited the whole movie thinking it's going to be a slasher, and it turns out they're witches. So, yeah, Luca doing it right away. I was like, ah, it just it just makes for a very long movie, and then to wrap it around the actual events of the German autumn in 1977, with the plane heist and the murder of a former SS leader, um, it was too much. It felt too bloated. Like it felt like there was too many stories going on. I don't know if you felt the same way. Mm-hmm. No, actually, I, I I didn't with it. Uh, I I do see your point. So so here's the thing, right? When mm-hmm. I look at and think of the original Suspiria. Yeah. I know it's a giallo. I know that it's, you know, that yeah. it's a horror movie, quote unquote. Um, mm-hmm. But more so, it's one of those films that I feel like is a work of art. You know, there's yeah. a lot yeah. of artistic, and I'll, I'll use the word that I've used, you know, for other things, but I'm not using this in a negative, even though it sounds like it, but there's a lot of artistic douchebaggery. You know, done yeah. throughout that yeah. film, but it's done yeah. extremely well. The use of color palettes, you know, the behaviors of certain characters being so er- er- erratic. Um, yeah. You know, the music score, like all of those things in that film are done to 
almost assault your senses so that you don't yeah. know what's really going on. Like you said, it's kind of like a, a nightmare come to life. You know, you come out of that movie yeah. at the end and you're kind of like, like, what the fuck? You know what I mean? It was like a disjointed dream. You don't really know exactly what you saw, why you saw it, or exactly what the hell was going on. This film, on the other hand, this tells a more definitive story and a more straightforward mm. narrative. Um, mm. And I'm okay with that because we already saw Suspiria as a nightmare. You know what I mean? I right. almost liken this to somebody described a nightmare in 77. This is somebody telling us the true story of what actually happened. Um mm. You know, so I, I kind of like that. I didn't hate the fact that we knew earlier on what was going on because, again, Dario did that in the original film. Why are we going to play around with surprises? The only reason to play around with the surprise is if you're going to change the ending completely and make it something that right. it wasn't in the original film. If they were to turn around and try to pretend this entire movie like they're not witches, they're not witches, they're not witches, surprise, they're witches, well... You know, as an audience member that's seen the original film, you're going to be like, that's kind of dumb. You know what I mean? And I don't think that this is the kind of movie that got made with the idea of people not have seen seeing the original film or at least not knowing anything about the original film. I think people that went to see this or wanted to see this, you know, they at least had an idea of what the first, the original film was. I loved that he created a setting that felt alive. You know, this is set in 77. Mm -hmm. These were all things that were really going on during that time. It Mm -hmm. gets used, if you think about it, it gets used as a reason as to why these witches were able to operate the way they were without anybody realizing what was going on around them and being suspicious of anything. There was obviously a hell of a lot of things going on in East and West Germany during all oh, the yeah. time after World War II. You know, we had a country that literally was addressing, you know, its own identity and figuring out who they were as a people, coming to terms with the things that they did as a people. You know, denial mm-hmm. is a huge thing that's, that's shown throughout this. Regret is a, a huge thing shown throughout oh, this. Yeah. I feel like this film even with its bloated runtime, which is what actually kept the ghoul girl from watching it. So she's in full agreement as far as (laughs) the runtime goes. Um, But I feel Mm. like he was so busy. If what we got in the Dario Argento original was art based on light and color and sound and all that visual representation of that way, this is Mm. more of an art in the idea of what it is to kind of like build a world or at least to give you a a representation of a story being built within a world that was going on around them. Um, Besides that, I felt like the characters and the actors, I think they all did exactly what they were supposed to do. They all were kind of supposed to be, I don't want to say boring or bland, but the idea was that they're supposed to all kind of be like worn. And, you know, the, the, yeah, the, the women, yeah. mm-hmm. the, the witch women were supposed to be wiser. You know what I mean? They're supposed to, they're not necessarily yeah. evil, nor are they good. Um, and, you know, I think the one thing that, that did hurt it for me, I almost feel like the characters, the, the, the girls, the dancers, 
Um, like I know this mm-hmm. time it wasn't a school. It's, it's like an actual like a dance an academy studio yeah. or a, a company. That's what it was. A company. Um, so right. They not actually like, go company, and yeah. do performances and stuff like that. They're not just training people. Mm-hmm. Uh, I feel like this is one of those where I might have appreciated and found it to be more believable had they gone with younger women. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. Yeah. You know, maybe late teens where they're a little bit more impressionable. They're a little less, you know what I mean? They're a little more, they're still wishy-washy and they have like these big dreams and the ideas that we're going to watch these, that this, this life that they're exerting with these dreams they have of being these huge, you know, this, this big superstar dancer and watching the, the, the witches drawing the energy and as such taking that life from them slowly. You know what I mean? Like that, I feel, would have shown better had they had younger, fresher-faced actors and actresses. Um, but again, that being said, I thought the, the ones that they picked were fine. Dakota Johnson does, does a good job as Susie. Um, you yep. know, she plays both Susie and what we see her turn into later well enough. I mean, she has the poise to pull it off. She's got the pedigree. Um, you know, I mean, her father's Don Johnson, her mother's Melanie Griffith, you know what I mean? So yeah. I, she's yeah. one of those actresses, when she started coming up, I kind of expect, like, her to, being that her, it's not that Don Johnson's a great actor, nor is it that Melanie Griffith mm. is a great actress. But I do feel like both of them always had that potential to kind of get up to that next level, but they never realized it um, or actualized right. Right. it. So, like, you know, in a lot of ways, I guess I kind of feel like the daughter will be the one to do that. So, like, it won't surprise me if she ends up winning an Academy Award for something. Um, But, really, Tilda Swinton is the one that steals the show in this movie. As she carries the movie and stuff. She is such a bizarre actress. You know, like, I just, I can never put my finger on it with her what it is man but there's just it's i don't know if it's just her look the way she carries herself mm-hmm. the combination of it all but like I, like my first experience with her as an actress was the beach with leonardo dicaprio and yeah that in itself was such a bizarre movie that i wasn't expecting it to be but her performance in that movie kind of like really spun that shit on its edge um, oh, yeah. And yeah. then obviously, you know, as the Ancient One and any number of other films that I've seen her in, you know, but you mm-hmm. know, she's, uh, she's, just, she's a bizarre actress, and she plays three separate roles in this, you know what I mean? So she's playing, you know, the, 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 the house mother, but not the house mother, but you know what I mean, what's her face? Um, yeah, Madame Blanc. Mother Macon, but Madame Blanc, that's what it is. Uh, she's playing the old man, you know, which is funny. I kept looking at him, say, like, I didn't know she played... I didn't know she played yeah. three characters, like, going into this at all. Mm-hmm. I didn't find oh, any yeah. of that out until afterwards. So I'm looking at him the entire movie, right? And I'm going, <laughs> I know that's a younger actor wearing a lot of prosthetic yeah. makeup. I'm figuring mm-hmm. they're doing that yeah, for, like, tell. a flashback purpose or mm-hmm. for something to happen to that character later in the <clears> film <throat> for, like, a reveal. <laughs> so when none of yeah. that happened, at the end, by the end of the movie, I'm like, that's fucking weird, you know? But then it was at that point I started reading up on shit, and I'm like, oh, no shit. She was all fucking three of those guys, huh? Holy crap. Mm-hmm. And, you know, that's how it was, it was good does. to see. Uh, it was good to see uh, uh, Jessica Harper, who played the original Susie Banyan, show up as Anka, mm-hmm. his wife, at the end of the movie. Yes. To, to, you know, show up in that. So it was cool to see that they brought her in 
And that's the role that she wanted to play. She, like, she didn't want to play one of the witches. She wanted to play, you know, that character, which I appreciated because I think it would have been a little bit too much on the nose if you have her be one of the witches. But, um, but speaking of the witches, I do like the fact that, you know, they are all, all the women. They're a little bit more reserved, but they can also be playful, like when they were playing with the two cops that came to look into Patricia uh, Engel's disappearance. Uh, uh, and they stripped the pants off the one guy, and they're playing with his dick with the uh, with the meat with the hook. Dick. Yeah, and they're just laughing at him the entire time. Like, they could do that. But it's Susie Banyan that kind of does bring everything together. She shows up. She gets the audition. You know, she's welcomed into the school, and, and, and Madame Blanc takes a liking to her. Um, but it's just when Olga decides, i got to get the fuck out of here because, you know, Pat's gone. I don't know where she is. This is a house of rabies. I, I love that line, you know, and I have to get out of here. And what happens is she – her – her mutilation is due to the dance of Susie, which was great. I mean, that was probably my favorite scene in the movie. Olga in the mirrored room, basically being disfigured and mutilated while Susie dances. So every time Susie moves her arm, you see her arm get ripped out of its sock. Then her leg. So then she's being twisted, and then she's peeing herself. Like it's a, it was such a really great scene played side by side. Uh, yeah, uh, again, you know, like, well, first – First and foremost, one thing I wanted to say real quick, Patricia Hingle. Um, obviously, a more, yes, which unfortunately, they really did everything in their power to not let you see that that's Chloe Grace oh, yeah. Um <laughs> yeah, yeah. Why? I don't know. You know what I mean? Yeah, it nope. would have made more sense to do that if she was going to turn up as Chloe Grace Moretz later in the movie, and you don't realize right. that that's the same person. Um, mm-hmm. But, yeah, like I, I don't even understand why bother getting an actress of that caliber if you're literally going to cover her completely and not even really let you see her face at any point, let alone really let her perform anything. She really doesn't you – know, she has important parts in the movie – but they could have easily been handled by a, a, a lesser actress, and it would have, you would have known none the difference. Um, that being said, I was excited to see Chloe Grace Moretz in this film, only she wasn't in it. Because um, I always, I always enjoyed yeah, her kind as of. an actress. Yeah, she was kind yeah, of. I, I mean, I get what she, you're saying she was in the beginning. And, I, yeah. You know, so she, she I, appears. I, 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 mean, yeah. I like what she brings when she performs, though. That's the thing. Like, I just don't feel like she did enough. She did enough in the beginning area there. Yes, she... She yeah. gives us mm-hmm. the idea that obviously something's fucked up in this in this school. Um, but again, unlike the original film where the mystery was what was going on in the school, we know what's right. going on in the school. The mystery in this movie is Susie. We don't know what she yeah. is or who she is because she's the mystery this time around. So, I mean, and I think that, yeah, Dakota Johnson does a fantastic job of that. And this performance sequence is like, I mean, you obviously knew – some, you, know, you knew Olga wasn't going to be able to get away that easy. So she's right. running because she's leaving down the steps and shit. I'm like, again, like I said, I saw nothing. I know nothing about this movie. I barely remember mm-hmm. the original. So it's not like I was really relating things that I saw from the original to this movie. I'm just like, oh, okay, well, I'm sure somebody's going to fuck her up or kill her or something. And then when Blanc does the thing on Susie's hands and her feet, and you see that like little bit of magic glow in her palms and, like, on the yeah. sides of her feet. Mm-hmm. I'm like, okay, yeah. that's, that's a little weird. What's going to go on there? Yeah, this is one of those fucking scenes that happen in a movie in which when the entire sequence was done, I paused it. 
and I sat there, yeah. and I thought about it. And then I went into the bedroom, and I went to the Google, and I said, I just watched one of the most fucked up things I think I've ever really seen done in a movie. Mm-hmm. You should come and see this. And, you know, so I, I rewound it, you know, 10 minutes back, because the whole entire thing to really get the, the vibe of it, you got to go at least 10 minutes back. And, and yeah, let yeah. it build up into everything going on. And it is definitely like, I would really love to set it up um, where there is a full side-by-side to see how yeah. Susie's movements affect Olga's body. You know, like you said, it seems like, you know, she moves her arms a certain way and, like, things are twisting and breaking and stuff like that. But, like, that's the thing. Like, there's one moment where she does, like, a, a spinning thing with her hands, almost like a, a fucking Kamakayana Hana or whatever the hell that thing is from Dragon Ball. Um, or, like, you know, the fucking the fireballs that Ryu and Ken shoot. Like, she puts her hands together like that but then twists them. And when she does that, you see Susie's arm, like, just twist and break and go into, like, an unnatural fucking position. And then she gets her face slammed up against the mirrors and like the jaws like getting distended. The ghoul girl was like, it was like watching Zelda from Pet Cemetery get made. You know, it was like that's mm-hmm. like it was so unnerving to watch. And what sold it for me is her pissing herself because that yeah. like seriously yep. like that, that's one of those <laughs> things that happens like in so few horror films. But like oh, when yeah. it does. It's so effective because you know she's pissing herself at that point because she has no fucking idea what's going on, why this is happening to her. She's so horrified and so scared. There's just no, there's no holding it at that point, you know. And like that, that's fucking no. fear. That's true fear yeah. in a character. Yep. Ginny does this in Friday the Thirteenth Part Two when she's under yeah, the fucking she bed and she's got Jason chasing after her, so a fucking rat comes walking out in front of her face and she pisses herself. Like, yeah, yeah. it's deserved. You got a fucking crazed guy running around with a bag on his head trying to kill you and a furry fucker right in front of your face. You can pee yourself. You're one hundred percent. I'm fucking down for it. Uh, but yeah, that whole sequence happened, and yeah, that was definitely one of those. What the fuck did I just watch type of moments? <laughs> yeah, and I, I give them credit for it because, yeah, after the dance is over, after, you know, she kind of collapses to the ground, uh, Susie, you see the the witches come into the room with meat hooks, and she's still alive. You know, she's still gurgling. She's still very much alive. She's not dead. They grab her, and they take her away, and you don't really see her again until the end when you see what they did to her, you know, the, the final product of, of what happened to Olga. But what I do appreciate is the fact that they use magic to dispatch people. Not like the original where Dario had black love, knife, you know, a lot of stabbings, a lot of hangings, a lot of things that he's, he's known for. In this one, Luca did the right move, and he made it about magic. Like, that's how they get yes. you. You know, whether it's through hypnotism, whether it's through what they did to Olga, you know, it's very much planted in the magical realm of things. And, and you know, you have the investigation going on because Sarah at first – uh, played by Mia Goth, who was beautiful in this movie, you know, and I wanted more of her, you know, but uh, she's the one that meets with Klemperer, the psychiatrist of, of Pat, who's also played, like you said, by Topa Swinton. And at first, is very reluctant to say that anything's going on at this, that, that the, the dance uh, troupe. Nothing's going on. They just forget about it. But then when she starts to see more things go on, that's when she trusts in him that he's being truthful about what he found in Pat's diary, that there's three mothers. <clears throat> there's Mother Superiorium, Mother Tenebrum, and then Mother Lacrium. 
Those are the three mothers, and they're all attached to the school somehow. They're all attached to Madame Blanc some way, somehow. Um, he just doesn't know how to connect the dots. Like, he doesn't really know uh, anything about magic, anything about the witchcraft that's really going on. Yeah, which, which essentially what those three are is those three are the primordial forces that were yep. essentially in place prior to all other organized religion. Like, they are, you know, for all intents and purposes, like the, the three versions of the goddess, let's say. Um, right, right. You know, so, you know, yeah. So, you so see, yeah, Mia Goth was fantastic. Um, she's one of those actresses that I'm, I'm also waiting to see, like, a big breakout performance from her mm-hmm. or something. You know, she does need to work on something, though. She needs to work on putting eyebrows on. Um, yeah. She yeah. almost always looks like yeah. an albino. Because she never, like, mm-hmm. she only puts, like, a small portion, and she's got, like, such pronounced brows that it's, like, you noticeably see she doesn't have eyebrows. Um, which, you know, again, like I said, she's, she's a striking, striking young woman. So, so yeah. But I mm-hmm. do enjoy the fact that, yes, they went to magic. Luca definitely did the right thing by going in that direction, especially... Because, again, even if you look at Dario's movie, like, you can sit there and say magic was used. They either hypnotized or tranced these guys. But this school doesn't depend on men to handle these things. Right. These women are very much self-sufficient and capable of dealing out and doing whatever it is that they are doing here. This is very much like a very feministic you know, viewpoint of things. And I know that's something that a lot of, I guess so, some of the, the people more critical of this movie kind of pointed out and they were like, oh, yeah, see, see, this is, you know, uh, a male vision of what, like, a woman-dominated society would be and everything's falling down around them, this and that. And I actually took it very much the opposite way. I think if you look at the, the state of the, the world that they're living in here in this version of Germany... That's very much the world that men have created. You know, it's a world that mm-hmm. has been fucked up by war, fucked up by, you know, the mass genocide of people. Um, mm-hmm. You know, a country divided into two simply because they can't fucking figure out its identity anymore. That's the world that right. the men created. You know, these women, these witches, are in this environment because they're looking to, one, like I said, take advantage of all that chaos and confusion to, to work whatever it is that they're working. But they're working to build something new, to bring something new. Um, and that's really what this is really about. It's about mothers and renewal and, and a cycle. Um, and, you know, what we ultimately find out, too, is it's sometimes about a little bit of dishonesty and shit like that. So it's a, uh, a very mm-hmm. interesting way to, to take the film. But, yes, I like the fact that there were no, no heavies involved in this movie. Right. There was nobody yep. that needed to come in and choke somebody to death or anything like that. They fucking they take care of shit the way they need to. Magic and mayhem. Yeah, yeah. To that end, I, I do agree with it, because in the original, it was Pavlos, who was the one that was going around killing people for the witches. This one, they take care of it for themselves. And it's also, like we had said, at the time this movie's taking place, you have the transition of, are we going to have uh, Helena Marcos continue to be the head of this, this house, or are we going to have Madame Blanc? Well, if Madame Blanc is going to be the one, then we need to have a transfer of her power into Susie. So she's going to basically use Susie as a vessel, you know, and, and kind of groom her throughout the movie, as we see her getting closer to Susie throughout the movie, kind of grooming her for what's to come next. She doesn't know, but Miss Griffith does, which leads to her killing herself at the, the dinner table because little mousy Miss Griffith just can't take it anymore. So she has to take that knife and, and end her life, you know, in a very brutal fashion because she knows what's next. But it's, 
ultimately, like you had said, is a lot of, of regrets, a lot of, of past regressions. I mean, they erase all notes of Olga and Patricia, you know, at this that stance tree. It's like they never existed. You know, they have that power to do that. So nobody knows that they existed. So they can get rid of that. So it's, all, it's like erasing the past. Like, we don't want to yeah. remember that, well, so we'll take it out of their memories. Yeah. Well, and again, what we're getting at this point, too, is we're getting a vote. That's all we're seeing. We don't know mm-hmm. exactly what it is that they're voting, but the voting is obviously, you know, the two choices are either Marcos or Blanc. Um, right. You know, we, we don't know what or why. Uh, or, or what the purpose is behind it, but what we are going to find out later is yes, it is. It's it's a it's a leadership thing. I don't think it's so much of defining who is going to go into Susie, because what we have okay. right. ultimately is just like we have a Germany that's split into two. We have mm-hmm. a coven split into two, where Marcos is saying that she is. The, the living embodiment of Suspiria. Yeah, Whereas yeah. Blank is very much the opposite side of that. She's more of the nurturing mother in this. She might be cold, she might be distant at times, but she actually cares right. for these girls. And I see in what her character's motivations are is that she wants to move this coven forward. She wants to... Right, yeah create an environment in which they can, you know, they'll be able to practice, they'll be able to do the things they want to do, but not in an oppressive way, because that just doesn't seem to, it doesn't seem to ring true to, to what she sees as a vision of this coven. And that's the big leadership disagreement that we have here. So just like we have fractured Germany, we have fractured coven. Uh, Marcos wins. And I think that's where we start to get into the body transfer thing. But, yeah, originally watching the sequence, that's, you know, me and Bonnie were still watching at the time. And we both looked at each other. We were like, yeah, that sounds like they're just trying to figure out who's going to go into the girl. Um, you know, so I figured body transfer oh, yeah. was going to come up at some point or another. Um, just makes sense with the with aging witches and whatnot. But, yeah, we find out that Marcos is obviously the older of the two. Um, she's, she's been around for quite a while. There's actually a, a portrait oh, yeah. that you see mm-hmm. that you'll see Marco sitting there with a younger <laughs> Blanc. So we know both of them, mm-hmm. are obviously, they've been around for a while. They're the, I'm guessing, based on that picture, they're the starting people of this coven. So, like, I don't think there were witches before yeah. them. I think they started this actual coven. I don't have to assume so because they do seem to be the centerpiece. And the centerpiece of this movie um, is the Volk, which is the you know a German nationalistic dance that they want to perform for people that come to attend the the dance troupe. Uh, so we're going to have Susie be the head of this dance because she's proven to to have the skills that Madame Blanc thinks is necessary. You know whether there's undertones to that as we see leading into the third act remains to be seen, but it, it's pretty much apparent. Um, Susie, I'm not Susie. Sarah, in the meantime, has found their shit. She's found their meat hooks. You know, she's found their underground <laughs> lair. She sees what happened to Pat, who has been completely just decimated and just kind of a husk of her former self. And also Olga, who's been completely just cut off of all winds, you know, and just writhing around in the dark. With this knowledge, she tries to escape and, and warn everybody, but she falls into a little bit of a hole and just breaks her shin, bone popping <laughs> out of the skin. <laughs> yeah. Ah. <laughs> you know, yeah, I was screaming yeah, with her. Yeah, that pun, but, dude. Damn, man. <laughs> yeah. 
but just the, the witches coming down, and they're all surrounding her like, oh, Sarah, hey, hey, what's up, girl? And they just fix her with the magic. But it's, you could tell that's a temporary fix. Like, that's not a full fixed bone. Like, it's barely being held together with chewing gum. But they hypnotize her, and they send her back after the performance, which is already underway with Klemperer, the psychiatrist in attendance. But when Sarah comes back, Klemperer notices that her eyes have changed, but also that Susie's eyes have changed. They're no longer that, that bluish hue. They're black now. And as the dance concludes, Sarah falls, bone out of the fucking leg again. Jesus Christ, with the fucking bone. You know, and it, it causes yeah. everybody to panic and run out. I don't know if that would be the reaction I would have. I think I would be like, oh, shit. Like, somebody called the cops, but this just causes a panic and everybody runs, you know, for, for cover because of this bone popping. It, it just, it's nasty. And that's why I was kind of glad that it was in there because uh, I, I just yeah, one thing I, I can't stand when I see bone breaking in movies. Yeah, cringe. I'm with you on that, man. Like, you know what it is is those, like, I've, I've, I've only broken one bone my entire life. I busted my wrist. Yeah. Um, mm-hmm. You know, doing something stupid as a teenager, like jumping to grab like a, like jumping up to go hang off of like a fence pole or something. And the, my hands were just not gripping it properly. So like I swung up in the air, mm-hmm. landed literally like flat on my side, right on the arm, you know? And like, as soon as it happened, I kind of like knew it happened. I looked down and sure as shit, you know what I mean? Like I looked at the arm and, you know, my fucking hand was in one direction and the fucking arm was like in another place. It just was unnatural to see, you know? There was even, it wasn't even that it hurt, but like it was so like frightening to realize like, one, I couldn't move the fingers because it wasn't connected to the bone, um, <laughs> you know, or whatever the hell was going on. But like, two, just the look of it alone, I was like, seriously, I might have been, I was in seventh grade, I think it was. It was sixth or seventh grade. Well, it was, I was in I-75. I want to say it was seventh grade. But regardless, mm. man. Macho, no macho, so all bets are off. Dude, I cried so fucking hard, yeah. man, because I was seriously, like, like super fucking scared, man. I was, again, like I said, I was like 11, 12, something like that. Um, oh, yeah. But, yeah, so, so bones popping out, like, especially, like, when that shit, like, that happened to fucking McGregor recently in a fight. No, yeah. McGregor. Yep. Like, he, yep. like, stepped like back. Seconds in. The fucking bo- like, that <laughs> shit happens in the UFC. I see guys kick somebody, and then they go stepping back, <laughs> yeah. dude, and the fucking leg looks like a rubber band. Oh, fuck that, yeah. dude. That shit is uh, a no. Dude. Like, a big no. Dude. Like, uh, my shins are yeah, so hardcore. sensitive, dude. Like, seriously, somebody even gets too close to my shins, I'm ready to fucking kick him in the head. My dog jumps on me all the time, and he likes to spring off of my shins. And not to sound, <laughs> not to, like, sound like I'm over-exaggerating like, like a certain certain sibling of yours sometimes does over like small things. <laughs> but seriously, even though mm-hmm. I know my shin is really not in all that much pain, it's pretty much to me in my head the equivalent of being in hellfire for about fucking all of five seconds. You know, you might as well have the devil stick his fucking fiery hot dick right up my ass at that point. That's what it feels it's like when somebody fucks fucking. around with my shins. Oh, yeah. I've, I've banged my shit on many things, and I fucking curse the world for, like, a solid 10 minutes. And I'm punching walls, and I'm like, Jesus Christ, it's, like, the worst pain. But uh, when after the performance is over, we have some of the girls going out to dinner. They're going to celebrate the, the, the whole recital and how well it went, except for the phone pop. Um, but back at the school, Klemper is led back by Anka, you know, the, his wife that disappeared during the Holocaust. Never really found out what happened to her. She comes back and, and says, oh, you know, everything's fine. I got away. I started living a life in England. You know, but when he realizes what she's doing, it's too late. 
she led him back to the school. Uh, I keep saying school. It's not the school. It's a, you know, it's the dance, the dance company. But company. he's led back to the school, and the witches drag him back in, stripping off all of his clothes. He's confused. He doesn't know what's going on. And this is where we get our, our final centerpiece of the movie, which is the ultimate uh, just weird fucking dancing naked women and men and Mother Marcos and all her weird, disgusting, perverted glory with just weird hands hanging off her arms, watching these women do this final ritual, which is to invite Susie in for this transference of power, which Susie does show up for, but she's not like the Susie that we knew at the beginning of the movie. She's very much more confident and very just well, both soft-spoken, but there's a certain sexuality about her. Yeah, that that Blanc notices right away. This feels wrong. This is no, no. We, we Marcos, we cannot continue because something isn't right. You know, you could tell that Susie isn't herself. Good. Yes, but Blanc has also been saying this the entire mm-hmm. time. She's been yeah. protesting doing this. Oh yeah. You know, and you know, I think the idea is to mislead you to think that it's a jealousy thing that she yeah. wants to be the one that Susie mm-hmm. that she that goes into Susie but it's not you know what i mean like that's the thing right. she keeps saying like we shouldn't oh, yeah. be doing this to these girls this way it shouldn't be this yep. quick what we realize quickly about Susie i mean she's uh you know we find out that she's from like Amish country um right I, Ohio. I, I don't know if it's yeah, it's, exactly. But it's like she said something about, like, the Amish and the Mennonites, like, split or some shit. Yeah. So she's like an offshoot mm-hmm. of either the Amish or the Mennonites. Like, I don't know enough about their fucking their lifestyle and all that shit. That's your country there, man. Um, <laughs> yeah. yeah. But, but regardless, she's, she's an offshoot of it. So, you know, as we're getting these flashbacks throughout the film, specifically of, like, a, 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 I couldn't tell if it was a man or a woman. You find out later it's a woman who's looking like she's dying in a bed. Um, yeah. of like some kind of sickness or something, uh, you, that coincides with this Susie gaining this confidence, you know, and as she's getting more involved with the dance troupe, you see her kind of like evolving to take on like more of a, almost like a, the girls almost take like a leadership role to her. Um, mm-hmm. She's nurturing and friendly without being overbearing. Um Again, all of these things are right in Dakota's performance, you know, which is which is great. Yeah. Uh, but yes, you know, it she is. comes really into good. this and she's fully on board with it. You know, you see this at the dinner right. table yep. scene, actually. You know, everybody's mm-hmm. talking, laughing, having a good time, and her and Blanca just yeah. like, looking at each other, and like yeah. this is a case in which Susie is a willing participant in this. They're not duping mm-hmm. her. She knows no. that whatever's going to go on is going to go on, and she's willingly going along with it at this point. Kemper's story, on the other hand, what a heartbreaking fucking thing, right? the way they did it. And yeah. again, I love it. I love that Luca took, you know, this yeah. Germany that was still, like I said, still trying to figure out, like, you know, like at what point do we stop saying sorry, you know, at what point do we realize that we're never going to say sorry enough? Like, this is a world trying to figure out, like, what the fuck did we do? How the fuck did we let that happen? You know, these are all these things, these regrets that they're trying to figure out here, you know? So here we have this guy, he's a Holocaust survivor. You know, there's a line earlier in the film where one of them say to him that, you know, you could have gotten your wife out 
earlier. You knew something was yeah. going on, but you chose mm-hmm. not to. And then being that he's a psychiatrist, you know, she also says, like, you've spent your career, you know, telling women who come to you with their problems that they're delusional. Um, yeah. You know, and I think that's just what he's professionally trained to do. I don't think he's doing any of it maliciously, but it's just one, obviously, with his wife, he was just, again, one of those those Germans that, you know, hey, I just, you know, I, I didn't realize that that was what was going on until it happened. And, you know, that that's, unfortunately, that was the nationalism that we saw within Germany yeah. at that time. And it's a horrible fucking thing, obviously. You know, I'm not, I'm not a denier in any way, man. What they did no. fucking atrocious. No, it happened. But, That's not to be know, forgotten. Um, yeah. so, so for them to bring his wife in and then give mm-hmm. this whole entire story that she made it and she actually survived and that she had a good life, but like, you know, like that moment that he embraces her, like, yeah. I, you know, me as the audience member knowing that this is, that this isn't real, Thanks. you know what I mean? Like, I know yeah. they're doing yeah. something here. And it's like, fuck, mm. man, this is so fucked up. It, like, broke my heart when he hugged her because it was just like, man, that fucking sucks. But, yeah, they're going to take it away. Led us yeah. To this. And, yeah, Mother Marcos all tumored up and, like, deformed yeah. yep. and just grotesque. And, like, that was another line that was, like, mm-hmm. earlier in the background. You heard somebody say, yeah. like, you know, oh, I can't believe she's got, like, all these tumors and everything. Like, how has she lived as long <laughs> as she has? You know, mm-hmm. and like that's the thing. If this woman is supposed to be Mother Suspirium and this all powerful primal force, how did she get to this state to begin with? Like these are questions that like I know as a you know, again, if somebody came to me right now and was like, Hey, you know, puts a, a finger or a hand up in the air and is like, you know, I am God You know, like <laughs> Obviously, I'm going to be a little judgmental. Like, what do you wear? What kind of shoes are you wearing? You know what I mean? Like, you got pants yeah. on? You got a dick? You got a butthole? Like, what's going on here? Mm-hmm. I want to know if you're human, not human. Um, so, you know, I'll be a little bit doubtful if the guy fucking, you know, drops his drawers and he's got a wang because I just don't see God needing a dick. Um, but, hey, who knows? You know, maybe, maybe he wanted the human experience. Maybe he likes ski ball. But, yes, we get... <laughs> no. One hell of a performance is what we get here, and this is again just like the, just when I thought like they could not break what they did with that first dance sequence. You know, Luca <laughs> found a way for my jaw just to sit there and just fall open and be like, "What the fuck did I just watch?" So yes, this gyrating yeah. mass of like humanity and these outfits and this yeah. makeup and the sharp, angular strength of the movements, like they, uh, like again, the original movie was all about ballet. This actually uses modern dance, so yeah, like no, that yeah. that was something that Luca wanted to do that was like very different, and as such, it's like representative of like the the women coming into their bodies, and it's just like it's just this bizarre fucking thing. And just as you're thinking, like you know, like what the hell's going on? Marcos goes and kills Blanc, and I'm like, yeah. Holy fuck! They killed Bottom Block! No! <laughs> Just that, that neck hit is insane. And it's because at this point, Marcos thinks that she's, like, fucking in charge. Hell yeah. I got the ritual going. Mm-hmm. You know, I got Susie here. Everything's fucking going great. You know, and she's going to finish this ritual. 
by having Susie kill her mother, which he can grant because of a spell. But that's when Susie turns the tables, and she goes, oh, really? Um, so who do you serve? And Marco responds by Mother Superioria. And she goes, well, that's funny, because I'm actually Mother Superioria. And as we see, death erupts from the ground and begins to take out all the witches that voted for Marcos. So you get to see flashes of Marcos, Marcos, and their heads are being ripped off and they're being destroyed. All the while, Susie is revealing a vagina on her chest. Just beautifully so, this weird, I, I took it as like a, as a vagina, you know, because of the whole womanhood angle, you know, as she rips open her chest mm-hmm. to kind of expose herself as that and basically taking out Marcos by striking her dead you know, for just abusing the power that she had and falsely claiming to be the mother when she had to being been the time. So, and, and to see you fucking Klemper, yeah, but to see Klemper laying on the ground naked, just crying hysterically and watching this, like his fucking mind's destroyed at this point. Like, there's just, there's no going back like, from seeing these bodies basically pop like fucking meat sack balloons because Mother Superior and the real one is here. Yeah, well, death is walking around, you know, looking like he just walked, looking <laughs> like not for nothing. I know it's obviously it's in the same week, so it's kind of like, oh, shit. But looking like he's like he just walked out of like a fucking Slipknot video. You know what I mean? I know like a fucking <laughs> yeah. drummer or some shit just died this week, or the original drummer. Yeah, the original um, one, yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, like seeing this guy like walking around, like I, like honestly, that was something I was confused about until they said who that was. When you know she was like, oh, yeah, death is you know with me, and yeah. it was like. Oh, so that's like a physical representation of death itself. Now I get it. Mm. I got no idea where that fucking thing came from. I was like, what the fuck? All I know is it was pointing at shit, you know, and and literally people were popping like balloons. And again, jaw just like down. I'm like, holy shit. Like, I I thought, you know, this whole time I was like, oh, shit, look at this. This bitch is going to get the transfer or or I figured, you know, upon seeing Blanc's death. Susie would reject mm-hmm. the transfer, and Susie would come into right, power. Right. But the whole fact mm-hmm. that she turns out to be Mother Superior, whatever her name is, Superium or whatever it is, Superiorium. That was like, Superiorium, yeah. yeah, wow. And yes, opening yeah. up the chest. That was, uh, I took that too as being like the ultimate in femininity. Um, right. Yep. You know, like here she is. You know, she is. You know, a mother, and she is, you know, here to take care of all those that served properly and have been, you know, doing yep. the, the actual work that is required of them, you know. So, obviously, all of those that, that favored Marcos were idol- idolizing a false prophet. Uh, right. that is, and they uh, were that, that's how I killed. took that completely. Oh, and effectively. Also, Very uh, effectively. Right. And Mother Superiorium now, as she is, grants death to Sarah and Olga and Pat. You know, she gives them what mm-hmm. they want. And it, that, to me, that was heartbreaking. The fact that they're standing there basically eviscerated during this ritual, and they're basically telling her, I want to die. I want to die. Die. You know, like, ugh, like, they're so young, like, you know, and they're being taken out. Like, to me, that was like the heartbreaking moment for me. It's like, they're just begging for death. And she grants it in a very peaceful way. She doesn't pop them like a balloon. She just touches them no, up and no, drops no. the ground. She touches them, and they basically just go down. Uh, yeah, that was uh, that was like one of those 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 weird ones. I mean, I guess I guess she could not repair them. No, no, um, she couldn't fix or that. Or that's not her way. 
You know what I mean? Like that, that was one thing mm-hmm. like, I guess you just, maybe because they did sin or whatever, whoever knows. Well, who, again, you know what, ultimately who cares? She, like you said, they, it was kind of heartbreaking in which she, she grants them their wish to, to be out of their suffering, which their suffering was, was they've been eviscerated too at this point. So <laughs> yeah. they're still alive, yeah. but they've been disemboweled. They've been gutted. The first part of this yeah. ritual was for their stomachs to be fucking cut open and their intestines dragged out. Like again, this, this gets fucking <laughs> weird, man, which is, which is great. This is again, like, like the movie, the, the, the witch or the witch, you know, like this, this <laughs> yeah. is doing that same type of thing at the end yeah. where I'm like, Mm-hmm. Ooh, whoa, okay. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I know. And I love the next day, after everything's over, you have the witches that were on Blanc's side and on the real Mother Superiorium side. They're in that big-ass cave, and they have to clean up all the guts. <laughs> they're mm-hmm. picking up the intestines, and they're putting them in buckets. Like, you have to drag them away, because it has to be clean. But they also lead Klemper back to his, his house, and just seeing him all disheveled, dressed again, just kind of dragging his coat, into where he lives, and you see him next, and he's bedridden, you know, just not dying, but obviously fucking. (laughs) I know, like just, and then the next thing he sees is Susie as Mother Superiorum is sitting at his bedside. Like, holy shit, I just saw all that, and now you're here. Well, what we also got was, uh, you know, while they're busy doing all the cleanup and everything, we get a a shot of the women upstairs talking that Madame Blanc has left. Um, but at the same time, yep. while the girls downstairs are cleaning, one of them pushes – because Madame Blanc's head was not cut off. It was just kind of no, like nope. slightly like – It was slashed. I don't know, almost like it was slashed all the way around to where it was kind of detached but still mm-hmm. on. Yeah. So when the woman pushes yep. her head back, she's still alive. So I figured, yeah. you know what, yep. maybe a little bit of super glue and some duct tape, and she's going to be back up and running in no time. Um but, you know, that, that's just me looking at it as a, as a technician. We can fix this. We can, we can, we can make her work again. We can make her better. Uh, but, yes, we get this, this epilogue sequence in which, yeah, Susie is in there with Kemperer, and she grants him truth. She lets him know what yes. actually happened to his wife, which was that she had gone to, you know, she did get away for a little bit, but she ended up in another concentration camp. And, unfortunately, at this camp, you know, she she did die. You know, the the fucking guy was just a douchebag and had all these fucking like forty thousand people stand out in the yeah. fucking cold for three fucking straight days. So she froze to death. Mm-hmm. But yeah. she froze to death peacefully and feeling like yeah. she had people with her because she had befriended some people and they were with mm-hmm. her when she died. So she did not die alone, which I believe was, you know, it was obviously of comfort to Kemper to know that right. his wife did not die, you know, alone and wondering, you know, where he was and all that, though I'm sure she was still at that point. But, again, it was nice that she gave him that. But at the same time, too, she gives him that and then takes away all of his memories of all of it anyway. Yep, so, yeah, takes it away anyway. Yep. Which I didn't get why. Why so, give him the truth if you're only going to take it all away? Yeah, it didn't seem necessary. I mean, it's like, okay, you're going to tell him all these like, things. Like her last memory, Anka's last memory was of their first date that she and Clemper had and how much she loves him. So she's like, so you know the truth. You know that she loved you and her last thought was of you. But anyway, I'm going to erase all that because let's just, I mean, can't she pick and choose? Can't she be like, I want you to forget what happened last night 
let's just rewind that back. You could just forget about that. But everything else I just told you, you could remember. I mean, I, I don't know. I'm, I'm with you. I don't know why she had to erase everything. You know, well, she's it's weird. Gold, she erases you know, all memory of women <clears throat> from his mind. Yeah. Um, mm-hmm. He doesn't even remember the woman that he's there with at all when, when no. it comes nope. to when Susie's gone. Um, yeah. So, like, I do wonder if it was one of those, because she, she was talking about how, like, you know, like, you have regrets, but you never used, like, any of this. You never, you never sought power um, right. throughout your, your, your life. And, like, I just, I, I wonder if, like, the reason why she took that away is because no matter what, that's always going to be his greatest regret. So maybe even knowing that she didn't die alone, would still, you know, he'd still regret not leaving Germany when he had the chance. He did have the chance. Like I said, as earlier in the film, it was stated that, you know, he, had, he could have taken her out of there. Um, but didn't. Mm-hmm. But, but, yeah, but that's, uh, that's pretty much where they close it, man. They do. And then there is a post-credit of uh, Susie looking at something and then kind of walking away. And, and just, you know, that's it. They faded by. Because originally they uh, had said that this movie was going to be, like, two parts. Like, they were going to have Suspiria Part 1, and then they were going to release a Part 2, because Luca kind of had an idea of making more than one Suspiria movie to kind of have more story. But, unfortunately, they, they said you could just have one go. So, that's why it became it's a two-and-a-half-hour two movie. Yeah, I would have liked to have seen what else oh, he could have come up with. Um, well, I would have <laughs> yeah. liked to have seen him do what, you know, ultimately Dario does, which is make, you know, three movies about three, you know, elemental witches. Uh, you know, we, we have the yeah. three of them. So really, this is built yeah. to be a trilogy. You know what I mean? We could get another two movies, and you could only you could similar to Dario, make them only slightly related. You know, make them related through themes or through ideas. You know, they don't need to actually be like any kind of continuous storyline. No, that's right. You know, and that's what Dario did. He made his three movies. He made Suspiria, Inferno, and then uh, Mother of Tears, the complete the Three Mothers trilogy. Luca kind of just put everything in one movie. He basically gave you all three at once. So it, it was mm-hmm. kind of interesting to see him do that, um, which kind of bloats it, but at the same time doesn't. I mean, it's just, it depends. I think if you've never seen the original, I think you might find things that you enjoy with this movie. So uh, that's just my opinion about it. I mean, if you've seen the original and you have a reverence for it, you might not want to watch it. But anyway, well, that uh, makes, so as we close that out. That post-credit scene make more sense, though. You know what I mean? Because this does, similar to a Marvel yeah. film, it actually has a post-credit scene that takes place in current day, um, in which you see Dan- uh, I was say Danny, you see Susie, uh, kind of like, kind of looks at the camera, does like a bit of a hand movement thing, and then just walks right off screen. So it's kind of like, oh, okay. So we know she's still existing within modern day at this point. So maybe that's, that's where they were going with. Uh, I don't know if you saw it, the Dean gave us pick. He did. So, yeah, next week uh, the Dean will be back. Uh, the Monkey Wells will be back. So we're going to be covering Fried Barry, directed by Ryan Kruger. I've actually seen it. It's a Shutter exclusive. Looking forward to it because we had some weird fucking madness this week. Uh, next week we're going to be going right back into it. So <laughs> two weeks of weird fucking madness movies. So we'll see how you guys feel about Fried Barry when we resume next week. So why don't you close this out, cool? Hey, everybody, thank you for, uh, for, for showing up tonight. Hope you you enjoyed a, a bit of old school action between me and the king here, and uh, and yeah, we'll be back to to full strength next week on Talking Terror. So stay scared. <laughs>
<clears throat> yeah, that's what we'll be back to. All, all four of us back together once again to discuss the Dean's pick. It was a lot of fun, uh, you know, Ghoul, to have these kind of episodes where it's just me and you. You know, like you said, the kids aren't around, so mom and dad could have some fun, bounce ideas off of each other, and just kind of vibe. Hey, you're the so, mom. Looking forward to the next one. I would have <laughs> yeah, I'll I'll be be correct. I would have said dad and dad, but, you know, you went mom and dad. That, that's okay. We can do mom and, we can do dad and dad, mom and mom. I mean, you know, it's 2021. We're, we're gender fluid exclusive. We don't care. Uh, we're all included. Vaginas in the chat. Anyway, absolutely. Anyway, I'm your old pal, the King of Horror, Andy G. Thing. Thank you so much for listening to this episode. Hail yourselves. Hail Satan. Hail Odorous. Keep America strong. Watch horror movies. Until next we meet for a little bit of fried berry. Mm-hmm.